You're listening to Resolution Radio. ResolutionRDO.com You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the political cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Ladies and gentlemen, a funny thing happened to me between last week's program and tonight's live broadcast. I turned 43 years old. That's right. My birthday was on Thursday, June the 22nd. I was 24 years old when I started this radio program. And uh, I'll tell you what, it doesn't seem like 19 years. Birthdays and anniversaries and holidays are a perfect reminder about how just fast and how quickly those hands of time can spin. Uh, 19 years have passed, but from the bottom of my heart, I want to tell you that I love the people I've been able to meet. As a result of this work, proud of the work that we've done together and honored to be able to continue to collaborate with so many wonderful people in our listening audience and obviously our outstanding roster of guests. Uh, I thank each of you for taking part in this journey with me, and I want you to know that whether it be on my birthday or any day and every day, I am grateful for you. It's an incredible honor to be able to share these special occasions with the finest people I've ever known, members of our audience Uh, I don't take that for granted. I cannot overstate what a privilege it has been to work with you, and I hope that that work can and will continue. You have helped make my life wonderful, as have all of the friends we have made uh, through this effort, including our top five guests uh, (laughs) specifically, and Mark Weber is, of course, one of those, and he is with us right now. Mark, it is great to have you on tonight. Uh, Happy birthday, James. It's great to be on with you again. Thank you. Well, thank you, my friend. And, uh, of course, Mark is the director of the Institute for Historical Review, IHR.org. And uh, I have been eagerly anticipating uh, Mark's appearance tonight as he will be reporting on his recent participation at a conference in Estonia that addressed the future of Europe and the West. Uh, But that was not the only stop he made on his European tour. Uh, Mark, uh, as this hour develops, will further share observations from his recent visits to the Netherlands, Belgium, and Austria. Uh, And he'll report on conversations he had in those ports of call with writers, political figures, and activists. So, Mark, uh, I don't know where to begin. Uh, How would you like to begin this? (laughs) Well, uh, I've never – the countries you mentioned, the only one I hadn't been before was Estonia. I hadn't been to uh, the Baltic. Um, The conference was important. uh, And uh, just a few weeks after that was a similar conference dedicated to the future of the West, Europe, America – in uh, Slovenia that all that took place um, and uh, the conference in, in uh, Tallinn was organized by the person who's the co-host of a weekly podcast that we've done since September weekly roundup with Mark Weber uh, some listeners may already be familiar with that if you're not you can find uh, more by going on to the home page of our website and checking it out there but uh, the organizer of that conference uh, Frodi Midyard uh, gathered together an impressive array of speakers for that conference. One of the uh, top guests that you've had repeatedly on the uh, political cesspool was Jared Taylor, and he was supposed to be one of the speakers at this event in Tallinn. 
uh, unfortunately, he's been banned from what they call the Schengen Zone. That's most of the countries of Europe, including Estonia, France, Germany, Switzerland, Italy, and so forth. But he didn't know that until he landed in Zurich and was told, nope, you can't land, you can't stay here, and he was sent on a plane back. So one of the uh, uh, speakers who was supposed to speak, Jared Taylor, was not allowed, which only underscores really an important theme of the conference. One of the important themes of that conference is the crisis of the West, the crisis of liberal democracy, the crisis that the United States and Europe are going through right now. And the fact that um, speakers, men like Jared Taylor, are not allowed to speak in public in Europe is a sign of just how bankrupt the system has become and how hypocritical it is because it does not, although it claims to be in favor of freedom of speech and democracy, blah, 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 um, it doesn't allow a person like Jared Taylor who I think, as anyone who knows him can testify, is no kind of uh, hate monger or uh, 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 violent person or anything like that. Now, the conference yeah, gathered together mostly uh, from Northern Europe. Uh, speakers, it was a, a retired eminent professor from uh, Denmark who talked about how the uh, demographic and uh, uh, changes that are taking place in Europe portend very, very dark times for the future. Every one of the speakers was supposed to look ahead to the year 2050 and project where we will be. I mean, when we say we, mean, meaning European peoples and peoples of European ancestry in uh, uh, the United States and around the world, where we will be in the year 2050, and if possible, to look at the future in the most positive way uh, that we can, in the most hopeful way we can. And I try to do that in my talk at the address. Uh, but I'm going to pause now, and uh, because I've already been <laughs> giving you a kind of basis for that conference, which was important. No, I appreciate you laying that groundwork. And, of course, every time you're on, the runway is always yours because you always have so much to say. I would just add this, though. Uh, you mentioned Jared Taylor, of course. We actually had Jared back on the program on the broadcast for May the 27th. That was right after he had been bounced from the airport there in Europe, and he gave us a full uh, testimony of his uh, travels and how they were so abbreviated, and he made mention of all of the stops that he was going to be making in Europe. It wasn't just going to be uh, Frodi Midyard's Skanza Forum uh, there in Estonia, but he right. was going to make several different stops, as uh, did you and as did Roger Devlin, who's going to be our guest in the second hour as we continue this uh, two-week miniseries where we're talking to people who either attended or addressed several different uh, gatherings throughout the world over the course of the summer. They've really right. bloomed. We'll talk right. about that proliferation with right. uh, with Roger. But th that was really going to be, Mark, a, a true constellation there in Estonia. All of the stars, uh, literally and figuratively, were going to be in array there with you, Roger, and Jared. That was a, a star-studded lineup, to be sure. Obviously, uh, Jared didn't make it, uh, but uh, you both did. And uh, if 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 we could move forward to this, well, actually, we have a minute left. Why don't you wrap up this segment with any thoughts that you have in mind, and then we're going to talk specifically about the contents of your speech, which is posted uh, for anyone who well, is interested, and you should all be interested, at our website, thepoliticalcesspool.org, tonight. Oh, thank you. And the uh, speech is, of course, also uh, posted on our site and the uh, site of the 
uh, organizer of the of the conference. Yeah, I, I mean, basically, no one, as I said in my talk, no one needs to be reminded about just how um, disheartening, how uh, gloomy the trends of the last 10, 20, 30 years have been for Europe and the United States. Uh, but um, I guess uh, uh, so. So, and the speakers tried to put uh, sort of looked at the head in a way because it is very gloomy. It's, it's there's there's very little uh, light shining through the, the clouds of our, our world right now. Uh, the trends are are not good. They're not inspiring. But the big point I made, and I think it's important everybody to keep in mind, is this will not go on indefinitely. And um, I, uh, I laid out all sorts of reasons why this will not continue, not just merely because times change, but because the premises on which America and Europe are operating are, are false. They're not, they're, they're, they're not workable. They're striving for a utopia that will not be reached. It cannot be reached. It's a little bit like expecting communism to work. It's based on false premises, and it will fail, and that... We should prepare for that. That's what we should look forward to for the time. And with that teaser in mind, ladies and gentlemen, we will come back with Mark Weber, who's going to provide us with a ray of hope here on TPC. Stay tuned. The Honorable Cause of Free South is a collection of 12 essays written by Southern Nationalist authors. The book explores topics such as what is the Southern nation, what is Southern nationalism, and how can we achieve a free and independent Dixie? The Honorable Cause answers questions on our own terms. The book invites readers to understand for themselves why a free and independent Dixie is both preferable and possible. The book pulls in some of the biggest producers of pro-South content, including James Edwards, the host and creator of The Political Cesspool, and Wilson Smith, author of Charlottesville Untold, Arkansas congressional candidate and activist Neil Kumar, host and creator of the Dissident Mama podcast, Rebecca Dillingham, author of A Walk in the Park, My Charlottesville Story, Identity Dixie's Patrick Martin, and yours truly, Michael Hill, founder and president of the League of the South, as well as several other authors. The Honorable Cause is available now at Amazon.com. Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8, 44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil, spiritual power to the beast, and that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the line of Judah, a message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. As I said a moment ago, ladies and gentlemen, we're in the middle of a two-week miniseries where we're talking with the guest attendees and or speakers, uh, gentlemen who addressed these conferences that we have been highlighting and showcasing. And uh, I think I'm fascinated by this. Mark Weber made um, a multinational tour of Europe, as did uh, Roger Devlin. Uh, they both were in Estonia together. That was the first stop on Mark's speaking uh, tour. 
But uh, that was not the only stop, and then they separated and went to other places. So we're going to be getting the down low on all of that. But I would make mention of the fact, and Mark did just earlier, that if you go to IHR.org, that is the website for the Institute for Historical Review. Obviously, Mark is the... Uh, director of uh, that uh, wonderful and venerable organization. There you will find his weekly roundup, uh, the weekly w roundup with Mark Weber. This is a current event show that he does with Frody Midyard. I actually gave a speech last fall for countercurrents in Atlanta, and I said that uh, we were talking about the history of this program. I said one of the reasons I started this show was to be able to interview people like Mark Weber, people like Mark Weber whose ability uh, to offer insightful analysis of any given situation. Uh, in a country with a serious media, Mark would anchor his own Sunday Current Affairs show on national television. But short of that, we're thankful to have his talents here on TPC. But the speech I gave, and this is the point I bring, uh, I'm making by bringing that up, the speech that I gave last fall in Atlanta was forward-thinking and very hopeful. And that was what struck me so much. I think Mark had one of the most striking titles for a speech that I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, and the title of the speech was, As Bad As Things Are, They Won't Continue This Way. And I loved how Mark uh, started this speech. And again, we have that up at our website. It's up at Mark's website and elsewhere. Uh, Mark, you said, I don't think there's a single person in this room who needs to be told how bad our situation really is. Before you pivoted into the title of the speech, As Bad As Things Are, They Won't Continue This Way. So in this age that we currently find ourselves slogging through, how can we look forward with hope and enthusiasm? Um, because uh, truth has a way of, of poking its head up no, no matter what. And societies, governments, uh, systems that are based on false premises about life, about human beings, and about history, will not, they won't last. They're, they're going to fail. And one of the most striking things is, to me and uh, another point I made, too, during that talk and so forth is the very uh, high quality, increasingly, of younger people that are coming on board. This is a very gratifying aspect of all of this. I've been in this for quite a long time, even longer than you have, James. And uh, when we, you might say we started this, it was a lot lonelier battle than it is today. There are now many, many more people. And I'm impressed by how many especially young people, get it. They, 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 they understand the whole thing. The whole thing has, has fallen into place in a, in a way that was very difficult for me and for many others to uh, come to. At the same time, we are in a society in which more and more people, whether they're political, non-political, left, right, liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, they can see things are not going well. This isn't some uh, uh, assessment that's made by some tiny minority. This is borne out by public opinion polls that show people are not happy with the direction things are going in in Europe and in the United States. And uh, but it's not reflected politically because a dissident view, a resistance to the trends that we're having, are just stamped down with a with a harshness that's just astonishing. And the Banning of Jared Taylor is just one expression of, uh, of the effort by the system to shut up voices that it doesn't want to hear, even though uh, they're, they're the, one, the public is so unhappy in the system. I made the parallel between the last decades of the old Soviet Union. I said the last leader of the Soviet Union who really believed in communism, really believed that if we just push on, 
the day will come in which this glorious communist future will be around was probably, it was Nikita Khrushchev, and he was thrown out in 1964. After that, they still uh, said the same slogans, they still had the same promises, but people just uh, stopped believing, increasingly stopped believing those promises, because they could look around and see the contrast between their the lives that they lived and what was what what what, what their daily what, what everybody could see on the one hand and the promises on the other and we're going through a similar thing in America and Western Europe today. Everyone is very aware that our cities are more ugly, they're more disordered, things don't work as well as they used to. Our and the, the, our politicians keep putting out the same sort of slogans, but people increasingly just don't believe it. Now, that's happening all – and one of the striking things, and it's very important these kinds of conferences take place, because just as the same ideology is uh, in place in the United States and Western Europe, so also are the trends and the problems are very similar. It's just astonishing to see all over Europe the same kind of ubiquitous across-the-board propaganda to uphold uh, the, the system we uh, – I mean uh, – uh, Pride Month and uh, Welcome Refugees, the usual kind of slogans are everywhere, and they're obligatory all over Europe, just as they are here in the United States. And just as, and so, uh, so the, the whole Western world, and I mean by that European world and countries or peoples that have European background, they're facing the same kinds of intimidation, the same kind of oppression, and the same kind of problems uh, across the board. Now, having said that, the feeling in Eastern Europe is very different than it is in Western Europe. Western Europe has had far more years of American-style uh, Hollywoodization, propaganda, softening up that Eastern Europe has not had. And Eastern Europeans are far more um, uh, devoted to maintaining their own uh, national ethnic identity in a way yes. that Western Europeans and Americans are not. So in Finland, Estonia, Latvia, uh, and so forth, in Eastern Europe, there's a much stronger and more healthy sort of national identity and a national spirit than there is in the United States and in Western Europe, where it's been replaced by a huge, enormous emphasis on individual liberty, how I'm feeling. I want my rights, and that rights were uh, 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 the emphasis on the here and now and the me, 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 me. But in Eastern Europe, that's not as strong. Having said that, though, the same propaganda that uh, we're all, we've all been subjected to and are in, and subjected to in the United States and Europe, is, you can find it in Eastern Europe as well. And that's a very tragic thing, because if the trends continue as they have, uh, it will mean the destruction of the ethnic heritage and identity and national heritage of Eastern Europe, just as it is already now well underway in Western Europe and, of course, here in the United States. Well, th th this is it, Mark. Will it continue? And this goes back to your speech, which I would encourage everyone to watch. I really enjoyed watching this, but uh, the title, As Bad As Things Are. Look, I, we're not going to trick you, folks. We're not going to tell you. We're winning at every turn. No, we know how bad no, no, the trajectory yeah, is right. and, and what the, the trends are. But 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 here's the thing. I, I, yeah. I would just say this: as bad as things are, they won't continue this way. Uh, I think, Mark. Obviously, I don't think this. I know this. We live in a society that is dysgenic in most ways and degenerate in virtually every way. 
And a society that is built upon dysgenics and degeneracy cannot, by its very nature, endure. It, it, it is a society that is at odds with nature itself. It's at odds with natural law. And so I hope I'm not oversimplifying things by putting it, by framing it that way, but I just don't see that this continues to extrapolate into perdition. I, I, I think that at some point this will end. It's, it's even more drastic than that. This push for what they call equity means inevitably lowering standards. And I mean standards across the board of competence, ability, and skill across the boards. We're going to see more bridges falling apart, trains derailing, planes crashing. Things just don't work as well as they – and there have – because we the, the push for a society of what they call equity – because everything people are not quote equal quote unquote means they have to lower standards and that will have ever more obvious consequences deadly consequences harmful consequences you know one of the interesting things to me in the last several years is everyone i know political people non-political whatever their background they, everybody comment things don't work as well as they used to things aren't they, 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 things just don't function as well and uh, that's going to be even more true in the years ahead, the more they push in this way. And we're not allowed even to sort of question the basic premises. They, they are so rooted in the trajectory of the last uh, 50, 100 years and have been accepted by the leaders of all the major political parties in Europe and in the United States. Republicans and Democrats have accepted this idea that we have to push for this so-called equity. This is utopian. This is harmful. And the consequences of that, even more than the dysgenic ones, will be felt more and more, obviously, by people in the years ahead. Fantastic commentary, as always, by Mark Weber. We've got him for two more segments. We are going to transition away from his appearance in Estonia and talk about some of uh, the other ports of calls he visited uh, as this hour rolls on and it's rolling by quickly. Stay tuned. Your daily Liberty Newswire. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News. I'm Jerry Varmash. Ukrainian President Zelensky claims Russian President Putin is, quote, very afraid after a group of mercenary soldiers threatened to march on Moscow. Ukraine's leader said Putin is, quote, probably hiding somewhere, not showing himself. Convoys of mercenary tanks and troops were reportedly less than 100 miles from Moscow when their leader apparently agreed to turn his forces around. Former U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, William Taylor, analyzes the situation. For Prigozhin to turn away from the fight in Ukraine and turn his focus and his, and his uh, force um, on the Russian military is a real threat to President Putin. The head of the Wagner Group, who had been hired to aid in Russia's invasion of Ukraine, claimed Russian forces had attacked his soldiers. The Kremlin reports Progoshin will go to Belarus and the case against him will be dropped, CNN reported. In marking the first year since the Supreme Court took away a fundamental right, Vice President Kamala Harris spoke in Charlotte on Saturday on the anniversary of the ruling that overturned Roe versus Wade. And so the three words that came to me that I publicly spoke <laughs> were, how dare they? How dare they? 
An NBC News poll released on Friday showed 61% of Americans disapprove of the high court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is backing the effort to expunge both of former President Trump's impeachments. He said Trump's behavior didn't necessarily deserve the punishment and said he'd like to take it out of historical record. But he noted that such a resolution needs to go through the committee process first. Canada is launching a formal investigation into the loss of the Titan submersible. The investigation will focus on finding out what happened and why in an effort to prevent such occurrences in the future. This is USA News. Do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right, call. Because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at crazy low prices. They have access to great prices and discounts at over 500 different airlines. Plus 300,000 hotels and rental car companies. Their prices are too low to publish online. With the extra money you You'll save. You can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner or shopping. So stop searching all of those travel sites to find the lowest price on your next flight. Let one of our SmartFares expert travel agents find the best price for you. Call SmartFares today and get ready to see the world with a fat wallet. 800-871-3291. 800-871-3291. 800-871-3291. That's 800-871-3291. So much more to cover with Mark Weber. So much more to cover with Mark, uh, but uh, time is already fleeting. I, I would like, we just heard it there at the bottom of the hour news break. I mean, of course, uh, the entire, uh, the international media is plum with uh, news of the situation in Russia. We, we will try to get a snapshot, uh, maybe Mark's quick snapshot take of that before the end of the hour. Uh, but uh, first, we're talking about his uh, European tour. I, I, we have to get to your, your other stops, Mark, but I want to cover just a couple more things on Estonia. So we might have to speed things up just a little bit. But as bad as things are, they won't continue this way. Uh, I mean, certainly you look at and you mentioned the, the old Soviet Union. Whoever thought that that would fall and then all of a sudden it was gone. And the Russia that we see today under Putin is certainly uh, starkly different uh, than the Russia of uh, Comrade Stalin. And then, of course, you know, going back uh, further in history, who would have ever thought that the Muslim of occup- uh, the Muslim occupation of Spain would have ever ended? Certainly not the Spanish of, of uh, who are alive at that time. And then all of a sudden they were gone and you had Christopher Columbus, uh, you know, blazing a trail to the new world. So things can change. And you mentioned that if you look at the past century, you mentioned this in your speech. You cannot look at any 20 year period and find people who knew what was coming at the beginning of that period. And of course, for the last several 20 year periods, things have not been going our way. But that's not to say that it's always going to be that way. Our time on Earth is very um, finite. And we seem to think that all of history will go in the way that our current age is going it just doesn't work like that right well one of, one of the points I, uh, I i've made and we've made you and i have made uh, on this show other shows is that um the society we live in does not pay attention to those people who have been vindicated by events whose predictions of the future have turned out to be accurate instead they denounce those people as with all sorts of the usual names, they're bad, even though events are, ha- are unfolding the way people like us saw it uh, in- ahead of time. I mean, the- 
there, there's consequences. Uh, diversity is not the is not a strength, as Bill Clinton said in a State of the Union address. It's it's a weakness. If there's anything that the history of the Soviet Union teaches, it's the fragility of multicultural, multi-ethnic empires like the old Soviet Union and what the United States has become as well, or other ones. People prefer to live with people of their own kind. They want leaders who are people like themselves. This is a very human, understandable, natural thing. And the idea that uh, societies and human beings can live just as uh, autonomous individuals in a country is, 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 is crazy. Human beings are social beings. And that has, uh, means a lot in, in political and, and, and cultural life as well. But anyway, the big point is this. After I was uh, done, in t uh, again, there were lots of very, very fast. In any conference like this in Estonia and so forth, the most valuable uh, thing to come out of it are the conversations, the friendships, the re uh, relationships that we develop out of uh, the conversations and talks that we have uh, apart from the formal formal speeches, that's always true at any important at any conference, and that was very true of this one as well. And there's no substitute, as I said, for actual people meeting and talking face to face. And it's again very encouraging. But as I went uh, from there to Netherlands and then to Belgium and then to Austria, I had fascinating, interesting, illuminating conversations with. Uh, many very uh, intelligent people, people in government, people in uh, writers, thinkers, uh, scholars, and so forth. And what's striking, of course, is just how uh, we're, how serious the crisis is facing everybody. Oh, we, we face a much worse situation than many people in the past because um, they're, they're, the, due to the tremendous power of propaganda, that intimidates many, many people. It's really striking how many people will say one thing in private and believe things even in their hearts, but they're afraid to say so publicly. So people are intimidated, intimidated because we don't want to feel odd. We don't want to feel weird. We don't want to feel extremist, as they say. Well, extremism in our society is defined by what movies tell us, what our uh, educators tell us, not by what common sense dictates and what history certainly shows. Anyway, the point is, I was really struck, though, how in Western Europe the situation is moving along. If you're, a, I guess, if you're a flag-waving civic nationalist, things are better than ever because Europe is more and more like the United States. Now, <laughs> from our point of view, you might say that's a catastrophe because Europe is more like the United States, and European cities are more like American cities. God help them. <laughs> especially, I, I think it's especially Western right. Europe. <laughs> yeah. Especially Western Europe, yes. I mean, it, London is no longer an English city. Paris is no longer a French city. I mean, yeah, the architecture is still good. There's still French restaurants and so forth in Paris, but increasingly these cities are becoming like American cities. They're becoming third-world cities. One of the most uh, discouraging places was Brussels. It's the so-called capital of Europe, because that's where the executive, you might say, of the European Union, the so-called European Commission, is headquartered. And uh, so people often use Brussels as a shorthand for the European Union. And Brussels is, yeah, it still has a beautiful town square. The architecture is uh, very impressive. It's a great deal like, like that. But on the on the ground it's increasingly a third world uh, city and it's it's very discouraging it's very sad to see uh, brussels become like chicago or cleveland or 
uh, Detroit or any other uh, any of the American cities. And but that's but having said that though, there's people are there's there's a great deal of people who understand and see all of that, but they're intimidated. They're afraid. They're afraid to speak publicly and openly about the reality that we can all see around us because they'll be either put in jail, shut up, uh, shamed, uh, condemned, uh, smeared, and so forth. And we see this all over. But just well, this is the, the thing, surface, though, Mark, too, that gives me a little people. bit of uh, just. I'm sorry, just to interject, this is one thing that actually gives me encouragement, is, is that a lot of people will say whatever they need to say in order to get by, and that's that's not necessarily anything to excuse, but at the same time, I don't think people are that far away from coming over to us. If if if, if someone, if yes. a leader steps in to harness that power and that energy, and if uh, the societal trends shift, I mean, these people are just going to fall in line very easily. So we're not that far away. Right. We are, but we're not, I guess. Right. No, that's right. When... Uh, it's it's astonishing how when things really drastically change, then people shift also to the new reality. Uh, there were many many Americans who were not in favor of American independence when we came. U.S. became independent, but after it was independent, they make their way with the they they go along with the new system. This is what happens over and over, with the French Revolution, with and so on and so forth, and in the whole uh, Soviet Union, people tried to make their own daily lives, and they sort of went along with the system because that's just assumed to be in place. It's especially difficult for Americans because we've had, unlike Europeans, we've had the same flag, the same currency, at least nominally the same constitution in place for more than two centuries. It's very hard for Americans, unlike Europeans, to talk and reflect on different, radically different forms of government. European countries have gone through vast, huge changes. You know, a conference in Slovenia. Well, up until 1989-90, there had never been an independent country called Slovenia ever. There had never been an independent Estonia up until after the end of the First World War. Um, countries like France in the last century and a half have gone through absolute monarchies. They've gone through authoritarian states. They've had democratic. They've had, they've had different very, very different currencies, different ways of doing things. And Europeans are more used to seeing and understanding that there are different ways of looking at history and life. Whereas America, it's, it's much different here in this country because we've had a very good run for most of the over two centuries. The United States has been a, a country, and we still have the same flag. So people still, it, it's very, it's more difficult for Americans, I think, to see something radically different. You know, you, we, uh, of course, there's some people in the South who have some memory that there was a Confederate States of America, and that's some alternative. And European, uh, that, that in spades is what Europeans are aware of. They're aware that flags have changed, uh, currencies have changed, uh, constitutions have changed. That's something that most Americans find much more difficult, I think. But um, going back to uh, the, the uh, trip in Europe, one of striking things, too, is this, again, this tremendous propaganda all across Europe, emphasis on, oh, you have to remember the Holocaust, remember what your grandparents did, they were bad, 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 you've got to make up for that, or <laughs> you've got to welcome refugees, we're all human beings, remember, we're all the same, everybody should be welcomed, or, I mean, there's just various examples of it, but this propaganda is promoted just across the board in Europe, and anyone who questions it, he's accused of wanting to turn back the clock to, you know what, the bad man with the funny mustache, we don't want that. That's over and over what uh, Europeans are told, and we're told in America, 
you turn the clock back, it means going back to slavery, means going back to bad, bad, bad. And so that's a very intimidating thing for people. And this fear is bolstered by tremendous propaganda uh, in the media and uh, by our political leaders, by educational system and so forth. And that's, a, that's, there, that's, that's an intimidating thing. And it's one of the reasons why it hasn't been changed uh, even before this, why there hasn't been a real uh, change already. The hours with Mark Weber go by. I, they've been time. Uh, it, it's, it's, um, it, it's really something. <laughs> He's one of our top five guests. You don't have to listen to him long to figure out why we invite him back so often. Got one more segment with him and one only. Uh, so we will make as much hay with that as we can, and we'll do it in three minutes' time. So stay tuned, everybody. Why don't you? Hey there, TPC family. This is James Edwards, your host of The Political Cesspool. Folks, I want you to subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper. Against all odds, AFP has and continues to publish a populist, independent print newspaper with an unparalleled track record. Founded by a dedicated group of experienced patriots, AFP pulls no punches and tackles the most controversial and pressing issues facing America from an America First perspective. I've worked with the American Free Press since even before the beginning of TPC. Now that's something. You can subscribe to the print edition by visiting AmericanFreePress.net today or simply pick up a handy digital edition subscription. However you do it, subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, by visiting AmericanFreePress.net or by calling 1-88-699-NEWS, AmericanFreePress.net. Fighting for the soul of liberty and true pursuit of happiness for everyone. Freedom Fest 2023 is coming to the home of the blues and birthplace of rock and roll, Memphis, Tennessee, July 12th through 15th. It's the ultimate summit for liberty, educating and empowering through art, music, film, and comedy while promoting economic freedom and highlighting today's political issues. Use promo code ROUND50 to save 50 bucks off the current rate. Reserve your spot at FreedomFest.com. See you in Memphis. My name is Christian Knuckles. I prophesy there will be no revival until the church leadership stops lying to the people. I'm the first soldier of the spiritual body of Christ, the Lion of Judah, the Confederate Church of Christ. I'm here to declare the lion will lie down with the lamb when the lying stops. A message from Christ Kingdom Ministries and brought to you by confederatechurchofchrist.com. Checking messages during the commercial break. Listener tuned in live now from New York. Mark is outstanding. Well, those three words really say it all, and uh, I couldn't agree more. Always honored to have Mark, my longtime friend, on. Uh, Mark Weber, of course, is an accomplished historian, lecturer, and current affairs analyst and author. He was educated in the, both the United States and Europe and holds a master's degree in modern European history. Uh, Mark is on very regularly, as you know, but uh, there was one uh, appearance not too long ago that I particularly enjoyed. It was the broadcast for October the 22nd. I went back earlier today to find out the exact date. Uh, Mark was on to talk about uh, a personal, private family vacation that he took uh, during which he visited uh, the nations of Albania, Montenegro, Bosnia-Herzegovina, and Croatia. Uh, that's a little bit different part of Europe than uh, his 
current more professional tour has taken him on, which is what we're talking about tonight. Now, Mark, I want to talk a little bit more about some of the trends and some of the attitudes and some of the observations and takeaways you have made uh, over the course of your recent uh, trip to Europe. Uh, and then if we could just mind the clock, with a couple of minutes remaining, I'd like to get a quick take on Russia. We hadn't talked about talking about that tonight, but I think it's just so pressing and timely that I'd love to get uh, just a quick reaction from you about that. But Estonia occupies a very unique corner of Europe, uh, far different than uh, the places that you had visited last fall. Estonia is uh, essentially the northernmost nation of Europe outside of the Scandinavian uh, countries of Norway, Sweden, Finland, and of course, parts of Russia. Uh, certainly different, uh, a different uh, geographical location from even uh, Belgium and Austria. Uh, have you noticed, uh, what are the differences in attitudes and in trends that you uh, um, well, observed? One, in, one in, thing that is very, very strong in Estonia and Eastern Europe, but particularly in Estonia. Estonia is different than all these other countries because it used to be part of the Soviet Union. Correct, very the new. The Soviet Union was made of 16, 16 so-called republics. Estonia was the smallest of those republics in population. There's only 1.3 million people in Estonia, of whom only 900,000 are ethnic Estonians. And the feeling in Estonia very, very strongly is protecting their national ethnic heritage. Because, and they fear, the great fear is Russia. Russia's on their border. It's a big, huge, big, big country that used to control, that was part of, part of Russia. It's part of the uh, Tsarist Russian Empire, and then it was part of the Soviet Union. And there's very, very strong and unhappy memories of what Soviet rule meant in Estonia. Um, the, in fact, the speakers were told, don't talk about the Ukraine war, because the feeling is so strong <laughs> that any... A feeling uh, talking about it they're they're afraid of russia uh and there's a great deal of fear anger uh unhappiness throughout, throughout those countries one of the speakers talked about again it's a bit maybe wistful thinking a military alliance involving poland finland uh, estonia latvia lithuania um i mean that uh, however whatever validity or uh, weight that may have, it's, it, it reflects this kind of strong feeling, this fear of, of Russia. Poland also was part of, most of Poland was part of the Russian Empire, too, and they have very, very strong feelings. They, they, they look at the Second World War very differently than Americans and Western Europeans. For Eastern Europeans, the Great War, World War II, is above all the war that took place on the Eastern Front. That's something for many Americans to har it's hard to understand. Far, far more people were killed on the Eastern Front, uh, involving the Red Army, the Germans, and others, than were involved in Western Europe. Well, look, I mean, look at Stalingrad alone. A, a million casualties in one battle? I mean, that's unfathomable. Oh, yeah. These, well, these are huge battles. And Estonians, I mean, during the Second World War, uh, there were two, uh, Estonian uh, SS divisions and Latvian SS divisions fought with other Europeans to defend their country, their homeland, and Europe against the Soviet Union. And, of course, they have a very different attitude about Churchill and Roosevelt uh, because, for their, from their point of view, those are the people that sold them out to Stalin. But remember, during the Second World War, the United States officially took the view, Stalin's a good guy. He's a great guy. He's going to be a, a partner in building this new wonderful world after the war. That's not how people in Estonia or Poland or Latvia or Hungary or other countries in Eastern Europe Look at history, and it's, uh, it's sort of refreshing to see how differently that attitude is. Uh, one of the uh, aspects of this is that the conference in Tallinn 
Estonia, the capital of Estonia, it's hard to imagine it taking place in uh, Paris or Berlin or even London because there uh, would be demonstrations and efforts by the authorities to shut it down. So there's more t uh, freedom of speech in that sense in Eastern Europe, uh, at least in many ways, than there certainly is in, in Western Europe. It was – we're going to talk – well, the attitudes are different. I mean, it's a different people. It's different nations. I mean, it's different regions, uh, different histories. Different historical but, experiences. Different exactly. Historical experiences. It, That's right. Exactly. And we're going to be talking more with Roger Devlin in the next hour, who was also at this Estonian speech. But I went to the Scansiform page, and that medieval city, uh, that capital of, of, of Estonia, oh, yeah. all yeah. the aesthetics, <laughs> Mark. I mean, you want to talk about beauty being yeah. able to bring you to your knees, the, the beauty of that place. Uh, my goodness. Well, Tallinn is a, uh, a world heritage site. It's the best preserved medieval city in the world. There are sites in Europe, uh, other parts of Europe, that are better preserved from the Middle Ages, but not a city. The other places are small. Tallinn is, it looks very medieval. <laughs> it, it, it's a, there's a big, huge stone uh, wall or uh, uh, fortress kind of look around the city, uh, these big uh, stone towers. It has a very solid northern European, Swedish, Germanic kind of feel to it, and uh, and the conference venue, the conference venue itself, really uh, fit in with that aesthetic. Yes, it was in the what they call the old uh, town. It's uh, we stayed in the old town, which is the center of of uh, traditional Tallinn, and it was one of the nice things is the weather was so comfortable, and it was a very pleasant venue. Uh, we had a nice place out in the courtyard when between speeches. It was very good. Uh, Tallinn is beautiful, and the 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 people of Estonia are they, well. They're they're very they're they're good looking. They're they look like Finns basically. The Estonian language and the Finnish language are similar. They're different, but they're similar. And the uh, heritage, the background, is very much uh, um, uh, sort of a. a parallel or similar to, to, to Finland. During the old Soviet Union, uh, there were tremendous differences in living standards and income and educational level, even though the whole country was supposedly one Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, uh, European and Western Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania always had higher standards of living. They were more European, more capable. Then, and uh, again, that's it's obvious. I mean, people make societies, not the other way around. You just can't impose <laughs> a system, and it's all going to turn into people. Anyway, Estonia wants to be. Most Estonians hope that somehow the future will be. They'll have a. They'll be united with Europe. It'll be prosperous, and uh, they are willing to put up with you might say the Americanization because it doesn't affect them so much. Estonia is still. Uh, very much Estonian, and uh, but there is a, uh, a maybe 20 percent, 30 percent of the population which is not ethnically Estonian, and that's that's a concern. That's a big word. Mark, it's mainly Russian. Uh, just just a quick interjection yep. here, and, and and I apologize. I never want to interrupt you. I, I'm looking at my notes, and I'm one third of the way through what I had hoped to cover with you tonight, and and and, and, <laughs> okay. and every minute. No, no, no. Listen, every minute has been outstanding. There's not been a wasted minute. It's just. We never have enough time, and I could have gone the full three hours with you. Next time you have a Saturday night off, you see, here's the thing about Mark that you don't know, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. He is leaving this interview and going directly to give a speech in California, uh, a local right. IHR. We have a meeting uh, in an hour. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <we're having laughs> this, is, this is how ambitious. 
his schedule is. But uh, in, in any event, uh, I, I I wanted to make mention of uh, I always enjoy hearing people share observations of their travels to Europe. I mean, we have a March Around the World series where we interview exclusively during the month of March elected officials and leaders and activists from Europe. We have no American guests on. I mean, what we've done last week and tonight, we're having our, some of our mainstay guests, you and Roger and others, uh, that are talking about their trips to Europe uh, from an American perspective. But uh, back in um, March, we even you know, elected officials like Philip DeWinter and Anka Vandermersch and, and, and others, former elected officials, Nick Griffin. I mean, a lot of people. Uh, and it... Um, I wish we had more time to get into your visits to the Netherlands, Belgium, and Austria, but uh, we will save that for another night with two or three minutes remaining. And this obviously was not something that I intended to talk to you about, but it has to be at least addressed for a moment. With two minutes remaining, uh, it's so hard to cut through the propaganda and know what's true and what's real. What do you make of the current news from Russia? Um, I've been surprised that the Russian government has tolerated this semi-independent military force for as long as it has. This so-called Wagner Group, run by this uh, man who is a former businessman, it's, it's been tolerated by the Russian government, but it's not really under Russian command. And it's astonishing to me that it's been tolerated for as long as it has, because uh, the leader of it is his own guy. Maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong, but that's not tolerable. You can't have a uh, effective military if you've got a significant number of people who uh, have their own ideas of, of what should be. Um, it'll be uh, suppressed, and it'll. Uh, and apparently the agreement is if he flees the country, then uh, everything will sort of return to normal. But um, it's, uh, it's a little bit something like America increasingly does a great deal of farming out of its military or semi-military work with uh, private contractors, BlackRock, and uh, uh, um, other, uh, and, and that's a that's an ambig, uh, ambiguous thing because they're not under the same kind of discipline. I, I don't think it's going to radically change the government. I've made the point repeatedly: no Russian government that I can imagine, no Russian leader that is even thinkable, is going to do much differently than Putin did. They're not going to tolerate a, uh, a a Ukraine that is tied and a part of the Western military alliance. That's too much of a threat to the very basic security of Russia. No Russian's going to really put up with that. And now, it's a, it's a crisis, and there's problems in Russia, of course, but uh, they, they've had this in every war they fought. It was true in the First World War. In the Second World War, Stalin simply just had people shot who even deviated slightly from everything. Putin isn't as ruthless as that. But um, it will not change the basic uh, outcome of the okay. war. Okay. Uh, All right. It, so, I mean, because, of course, the American well, media is saying okay. that this Wagner group was ready to sack Moscow, but out of the goodness of their hearts, they no, turned no. around and they didn't want to <laughs> embarrass. No, no. I, yeah, right. It's so hard to know what's going on. But, ladies and gentlemen, well, he's got to get to it. Yeah. 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 Uh, IHR.org. Yeah, okay. they, well, they constantly lie is what they do, but I, well, they overplay okay. it. Okay. IHR.org, IHR.org. Support the work of Mark, Mark Weber, an all-time great. And uh, listen to his weekly roundup where he comments on current events like the ones we were talking about. So much more to talk with Mark about, but time will not allow it tonight, but he'll be back soon. Thank you, Mark. You've made a serious investment in protecting yourself and your family. You've purchased the gun, the ammunition, the training, and even secured a license to carry in your state. 
You know the Constitution and don't believe you should have to pay for a right that you already have, as written in the Second Amendment, but you are law-abiding. Now you are considering the legal defense options you should have if you ever have to use a firearm. Self-Defense Fund is a comprehensive litigation membership backing you on appeals, legal expenses, court costs, and more, up to $1 million per incident and unlimited attorney costs per member. Discover selfdefensefund.com for yourself. Any weapon, any state, any time. Are you prepared to bug out? Infidel Body Armor and an Army Ranger have produced a high-speed DVD and book to show you how to drive in combat, patrol, and how to survive in combat. Skills you'll need when it hits the fan. Go to DrivenDVD.com. DrivenDVD.com. You're listening to Resolution Radio. 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 ResolutionRDO.com. Listen, do you hear that sound? It started low, but it's getting progressively louder. Into a crescendo, even louder. Irresistible ending in an ear-splitting blast of mass disruption. That's the sound of America's economic and political systems crashing to the ground. But we have a plan. We will be ready to restore political sanity. We will be ready to answer the call of productive America. We will restore America's industrial base and put America back to work. We will shut down political correctness and restore decency and positive media to America. We will save our constitution, our traditional way of life, our customs, and religion. We will restore sound money and crush the debt-based system of monetary slavery. And we will end America's foreign misadventures. We are the American Freedom Party, and we have a plan. Learn more about us, theamericanfreedomparty.us. In ancient times, man roamed the earth in a constant state of hunting or being hunted. Introducing Caveman, where cutting-edge science meets ancient super nutrients. Secure your bottle right now at InfoWarsStore.com. You're listening to the Political Cesspool on ResolutionRDO.com. Call and listen now at 607-203-5423. That's 607 203 5423. You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the political cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Welcome back, everybody, to the second hour of tonight's live broadcast of TPC. I'm James Edwards this Saturday, June the 24th. And um, as we've mentioned earlier, we're currently in the middle of a two-week mini-series during which we're showcasing select individuals who either attended or addressed a variety of dissident conferences that have bloomed throughout this glorious summer. You just heard from Mark Weber, who shared a tale of his recent trip to not just Estonia, but also to the Netherlands, Belgium, and Austria. But that's not all. Program favorite, Roger Devlin, author of Sexual Utopia in Power, The Feminist uh, Revolt Against Civilization. He's also back with us tonight and back with us right now to share details about his own recently completed multi-nation speaking tour of Europe. And uh, as we go from one esteemed scholar to the next, Roger, welcome back to TPC. 
Thank you. Thank you, James. Glad to be here. Now, I got to tell you, folks, Roger a, is. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Roger. I was a month in Europe. I, I spoke, uh, I was at the Talon Conference with Mark Weber. I was in Stockholm and I was at a private countercurrents gathering with some uh, tourism in between. So I got a lot to talk about. Well, we're going to try to get to as much of it as we can. We, we couldn't get to enough of it with Mark in the first hour. I really wanted to focus a little bit more. We, we talked a little bit, uh, of course, about his uh, conference in Estonia, uh, the, the Skanza Forum in, in, in uh, Estonia, where he uh, spoke. But I wanted to talk a little bit more about his visits to the Netherlands, Belgium, and Austria, and the, the conversations with the writers and political figures and activists that he met in those countries. But time did not permit. And so we'll get to as much as we can with the time we've got with you, my friend. But i got to tell you, folks, before we start with Roger, Roger is a rock star. Now, I'm not kidding you when I say that. You can find Mark Weber's speech that he gave at the Talon Conference for free. And you can certainly listen to TPC for free. But if you want to hear Roger's speech, you got to pay $5 at Odyssey. And that's uh, not yeah. by Roger's doing. That's just because that's just the nature of, no. the, of, of, of his celebrity. Somebody put it on Odyssey with a $5 charge to listen. I understand that a free version <laughs> is going to come out in the next couple of weeks. All the conference videos will be made free eventually by the conference organizer, but um, uh, only a few are out so far. <laughs> I kid you. I kid you, my friend. Uh, but uh, Coming up, uh, we actually did post Mark's uh, speech uh, to thepoliticalcessible.org back a couple of days ago, so check that out uh, at the same event uh, that uh, Roger is about to uh, give us uh, some details about. And then uh, right. uh, Roger's speech in Stockholm, there is a transcript of the speech that he gave there which will be up on our website in a couple of days so check it out it'll complement his appearance tonight but first let's go back to estonia roger that was uh, the first stop on your yes. tour as well uh let's talk about what you talked about yes well uh, uh some uh, some highlights for me were uh, getting to meet ed dutton uh I, some of your Listeners must know about him. He's got a wonderful site called The Jolly Heretic. He's an Englishman who lives in Finland. And if you want to keep up with the cutting edge of the science of human diversity, he's a really good guy to follow. I reviewed several of his books, but I got to meet him in person, uh, as Mark did too, for the first time in Tallinn. Um, Ruben Kalep, uh, uh, who has spoken at American Renaissance in person once and by video link once, uh, was also there. He was our, you know, our Estonian host, the one local speaker, and he gave a wonderful talk too. And I was privileged to spend a couple of days with Ruben in southern Estonia after the conference, which was a very interesting experience. He he knows the history of his country deeply and and thoroughly, and he was taking me to archaeological sites, you know, places where medieval kings of Estonia used to rule from, and uh, I got to visit Tartu, the university city, which is uh, the, the Estonia's major university is the oldest European university that far north in Europe. I think it goes back to the 15th century. Uh, it was a wonderful, that was a wonderful place to visit. Um, uh, toured around southern Estonia. Southern Estonia is an interesting region. It actually has its own language. That's something not many Americans know. But it has its own language related to but distinct from standard Estonian. It's a very conservative region. Ruben's uh, conservative political party gets the strongest support from southern Estonia. So 
I was delighted to be able to spend over a week in that region as well as seeing the capital, Tallinn. I was looking at photos from both uh, Tallinn, as I was mentioning with Mark in the previous hour, just this wonderful medieval city that still holds yeah. all of that power. And uh, the hotel that yeah. uh, this Scansiform was at really just fit in with the whole aesthetic. And then Cyan uh, with Countercurrents was sending me some pictures of the local scenery there at uh, where the Countercurrents conference was held, which we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah. We talked about it last week with one of its participants, so we'll talk about it with you as well. But I, I just looking at these pictures, Roger, the whole idea of blood and soil is very real. I mean, we are here to fight for our people and our land, and, and seeing some of these beautiful, beautiful architecture and, and scenery and the mountains and the stone, there was just something about that. I said to Cyan, I said, Cyan, these pictures remind us of what we're fighting for. I mean, did you get a feel of that? I mean, you're an American. I'm an American. Mark's an American. Absolutely. You go from here to there. When you go over there, do you feel rejuvenated just by being does it stir your ancestral memory? Oh, sure. It's a, you know, the Estonians are a very ancient people. They're actually mentioned by Tacitus back writing in the first century A.D., and yet they never had their own state until after the First World War. They'd always been dominated for a time by the Germans, for a time by the Swedes, and then for a long time by Imperial Russia. Uh, before gaining their their independence in 1920, and then of course came the long uh, Soviet occupation. So they're very jealous of their independence, and, and uh, you know I can as a as a patriot myself, I can only wish them well. About 30 percent of the population is uh, is Russian, but uh, they don't you know they don't have any imperial designs well, on, on. Let's the talk Estonians. about that, Roger, if you don't mind. And I have yeah. nothing. I want to say this very clearly. It seems as though most in our movement, I mean, at least here in the United States, seem to be sympathetic to the Russian side of the Russia-Ukraine-Washington-NATO yeah. conflict. Uh, and then I have nothing but the utmost respect for Ruben Caleb, who you, who you just mentioned, who is an Estonian. Right. Uh, and not only that, he was a, a young man, very young guy, who is a dynamic speaker, a wonderful representative for our yeah. cause. And he has been elected to the Estonian parliament, and uh, he sees it a, a very different way. And that's interesting to me, and it, with the, yes. you know, Estonia being such a relatively new country and with it having a lot of Russian admixture. Uh, what do you think is going yes. on there with vis-a-vis -vis this situation? Well, it, I think the situation is structural. Russia is simply an enormous country. It stretches across 13 time zones. Estonia is very small. I don't think the Estonian people have any hostility toward the Russian people as such. Uh, and the Russians, you know, the Russians themselves living in Estonia are break. not typically chauvinistic or, or, you know, even necessarily Putin supporters. Every, but everybody there, it's, a, it's understandable. There's a psychology of a small country that's always been under the thumb of a much larger country. And I think that's all that's really going on there. It's, it, it, the people are not anti-Russian. You hear Russian spoken on the streets in Tallinn quite a bit. It's normal. Uh, people seem to get along more or less. Well, I'm certainly anti-American as a Southerner, so I can I can get that to, uh, yeah. to some extent. But I mean, I guess they have to understand that Putin's different than Stalin, right? I mean, they, you know, this is definitely a new sheriff in town. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Everybody in Estonia is very sympathetic toward the Ukrainian people. Having suffered under Soviet domination, 
they're they're quite sympathetic, not necessarily to the Ukrainian government, but to the Ukrainian people suffering this invasion. And there are plenty of Ukrainian flags all around uh, Estonia. Interesting. Very. I mean, it's fascinating to me. And uh, you know, I, they have a different history. We talked about this with Mark. I, I can't relate to that, uh, and so I can't. I, I'm not passing judgment yeah. or saying that I'm right and they're wrong or they're right or whatever. Uh, but but it is interesting uh, being so close to Russia and, and being such a new country. But in any event, yes. Uh, let's uh, let's get back uh, quickly to the Scanza Forum there in Estonia. Both uh, you and Mark were there. Mm-hmm. Jared would have been there. I guess I should ask you. I, sh- I should have asked Mark right. this too. Uh, were there was there any trepidation? Did you did any of you consider that maybe you might not get there? No, I don't think anybody experienced any trouble except for Jared. Some of our attendees were disappointed because some of them actually came mainly because they wanted to meet Jared Taylor. Right. He, he he's that guy. Over yeah, there he's that guy. Very much. But I mean, yeah. you got a, you cast a pretty yeah. big shadow too, as does Mark. I mean, y'all could have been nabbed. Maybe not right. the average attendee, but uh, uh, you could have been turned away. We uh, were that, we were the American come? delegation. And of course, Frody spoke, and we had an Italian speaker. We had a, a quite a quite a variety. Well, we talked a little bit about the, what Estonia looks like, and especially that capital city. Just give us a, a couple of minutes here, Roger, on the content of your speech there at the Scanza Forum, and then we're going to move on to one of your next stops. Well, again, uh, as with Mark, uh, it was a kind of a. I guess the theme was the darkness before the dawn. Uh, I am hopeful in the long run for our people, but we've got a very – the saying that, the, that, that it's darkest before the dawn is not just an old cliché. It really happens this way often. Like a good, uh, a good historical analogy would be the worst persecution of the Christian church under the Roman Empire occurred in the years immediately preceding the conversion of Constantine. The authorities <laughs> right. saw this, the growing power of this church, and they were worried, and they thought, well, we've got to clamp down on it before it's too late. And, uh, and, and for several years they did, but it was too late, and the, the church triumphed. And I, I kind of have the feeling that our people ultimately will triumph, although things are likely to get worse in the short run. I, I talked well, to the I, well, uh, attendees about yeah, the situation well, in America and how bad it is right now. Sure. Yeah. Well, nobody has any illusions about the current trajectory and the trends as they exist right now. You and I were talking about this uh, about an hour before the show tonight. You and I both spoke at the Countercurrents Conference last fall in Atlanta, and I'm very hopeful our people will have to suffer more. That's something that I said in my address, and our people will have to go through a little bit more pain uh, before they will become what they need to be. But at the same time, as I mentioned with Mark, I mean, nobody could have uh, foreseen the fall of the Soviet Union. This was, again, a cliche. It happened very gradually, and then all at once, the Muslim occupation of Spain, and we could bring forth many, many uh, more examples. But this, I guess, just comes down to are you a glasses half full or glasses half empty type of of person? I am a happy warrior. I do believe we're going to turn this around because Mm -hmm. it is a very degenerate uh, society, and that cannot endure, I don't think. But this this goes back to uh, another, you know, is the the darkest hour just before dawn, or is the darkest hour just before the lights go out completely? (laughs) Right, right. My talk will be read, by the way, on V-Dare. If you you look back a a few weeks, it was posted on V-Dare. So people can read it, and they'll be able to see it for free in in a couple of weeks, I think. 
Well, so what was your overall? What was your final take on the on the uh, 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 conference in, in, in Stalin? It was a delightful <laughs> in, conference, in and you know, if if any of your listeners get a get a chance, you know, it's it's very much worth coming to a Scanza forum if you get the chance. There will be another one probably next year. We don't know where it'll be yet. That's under discussion, but uh, uh, it's it's worth the money and the time to get over there. It's an amazing experience. I've spoken Wait, at a right. couple of them. I spoke at one in. Stockholm a few years ago, and this was my second. Freddie Midyard's a, a, a great leader for our people in Europe, and and, and what he's yes, done he there, is. both in media and with his uh, events, uh, is is remarkable. And and Roger, this is actually something. Before we move on to uh, sexual utopia in Stockholm, uh, yes. now was Stockholm the second? Yes. Uh, stop on your tour? You went from Estonia to Sweden? Yes, it was. Yeah, I, I only spent about uh, three or four days there, but uh, we had a wonderful event uh, attended by about 50 people to hear me and two other speakers talk about feminism and the sexual revolution. Feminism has been very powerful in Sweden. It's maybe the most feminist country in the world. Uh, so, you know, they have a lot of experience with that. And my talk is up at Countercurrents, and I understand you're going to post it as well. So I, I encourage people to to take a look at uh, what I had to say. Um, well, this was I, your I think the, uh, the book uh, is doing uh, very well. Had a lot. Well, of it has to be. It. Has to be. I mean, sexual yeah. utopia and power. Which, look, Roger. I mean, you are contributing uh, contributing editor to the Occidental Quarterly. I mean, you have yes. You really are, and I, I loved what somebody wrote in one of their reviews of Sexual Utopia and Power. I wish I had it pulled up right now, uh, but I'm paraphrasing, and I don't remember who it was, and I'm just stabbing at this, but it just said that a as an independent scholar, uh, you are basically the Holy Grail. I mean, you're the one that people would aspire to be in terms of uh, an independent scholar who has risen up and created uh, a name for himself and his signature issue, which I guess sexual utopian power, this, uh, uh, the, 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 really the Bible with regards to radical feminism and uh, how sexual habits and hypergamy and so on and so forth affect our, our culture and society, uh, has, has really made a name for yourself. And that, when did the book originally come out? Uh, the book came out in 2015. The essays right. go back as far as, I think, 2005 or six, 2006. The original essay, Sexual Utopia and Power, was published. And translations now exist in German and Finnish, as well as the new Swedish one. So that, that's, what's, uh, that's what's so interesting to me, is that uh, you started writing about this in the early mid-2000s. The book gets published yeah. in 2015, and here we are now on June the 24th, 2023, and you're celebrating the Swedish translation of this book that was written eight years ago. I mean, that is something to be celebrated, and that is quite remarkable. Yes, yes, yes. I'm very happy about it. And good for it. you for that. Well, I'm, I'm lauding you. You know, you, all you have to do is just sit there and receive it. But no, this is, this is good oh, because yeah, it is yeah. such an important, important topic. So... Uh, you, you, you give your talk in Estonia, and then from there uh, you do a little holiday, and then you're on to your next professional appearance in Sweden. You're in Stockholm, which is this – I mean, people – I don't think if, if, if you don't know much about Stockholm, it's really like a, uh, an island. Weimar, Germany. <laughs> well, there's yes, that. I was talking about, yes, I was talking more about the geographical <laughs> makeup, but uh, at the, at the, <laughs> well, hey, well, before it, we get well, it's beautiful, <laughs> it's funny. It, yeah, it's a beautiful city, but where the hotel where I was staying, they were having this 
drag show in the evening, you know. I didn't attend, but it was there. You know, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. In well, Stockholm. you know, uh, I went to the Donald Trump, the first, well, I guess the only Donald Trump inauguration. He's run a couple of times, but the, 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 right. the Donald Trump inauguration, Jared Taylor and I, I had uh, uh, press passes uh, to the inauguration, and Jared was my plus one. And, and it was the day after that that they had the pink hat uh, protest or, or yeah. whatever that was. Yeah. So. Yeah, you never know what's right. going on in these Western nations. But uh, well, before we get to your talk uh, about the newly minted and printed uh, Swedish translation of your magnum opus, Sexual Utopia and Power, uh, what would you say are the differences in culture and in attitudes? Because, again, what we're doing right now, folks, is sort of an, an inverse of our March Around the World series where we have ex ex exclusively – European guests or, or, or guests from Australia or abroad, Canada, outside of the United States during the month of March, March around the world. Uh, this is sort of an inverse of that. We're having American guests on last week and tonight that uh, have been in Europe and are sharing their observations from these conferences. But what would you say are the differences in attitudes and in trends and just your general observations on this trip and this trip alone from Estonia and Sweden? Mm -hmm. Well, Sweden is, as I say, it is a very feminist country. People are afraid to criticize feminism publicly in Sweden. Uh, it's, it's like, you know, it's just taken for granted that it's an entirely true and positive thing. Uh, it's taken over the Swedish churches, uh, and, it, and, it, and it, it, takes, it finds unusual expression in Swedish law and everything. Uh, in my talk, I, I mentioned that uh, in Sweden... They have a, a law that it's legal for a woman to work as a prostitute, but it's illegal for the man to hire her services. Now, and I've talked about, you know, this does not make any sense. When you want to stop a practice, you go after the supply side, like with drugs. You don't go after the individual user so much. You go after the dealers. And uh, in, a, in the case of a vice like prostitution, women are the supply. So countries that are serious about getting rid of prostitution, they go after the prostitutes, not the customers. But in Sweden, it's the other way around, which makes, makes you think that, you know, they're not really interested in stopping prostitution. They're more interested in simply punishing men. Uh, the, the, the all, and all the laws have this, this rather obvious anti-meal bias in, in Sweden. Swedish women are also very heavily involved in uh, bringing immigrants into the country. Uh, they often take immigrants as boyfriends. Uh, in, in, in one, uh, to, to a certain extent, the immigration and the refugee program is like a, a, a young boyfriend program for Swedish spinsters. Uh, so I talked about that a little while. It, it's, it's like it's, it's the cutting edge of, of gender maladaptive behavior in the West is Sweden. So I, I was particularly happy to see my book come out in a Swedish translation. Well, who was, the, uh, who was the person or group or organization behind that? It's called the Logikförlag, which is, means logic publishers. They're a nationalist publisher, uh, and uh, they, they're very well run. They, they publish a lot of other things. They've been distributing my book in English in the past, they distributed it in Sweden and English, and they just brought out this translation. And they publish a lot of other wonderful titles, you know, like Estonia or any other country. Sweden's got a lot of 
has a very rich history that most Americans don't know much about. And so they publish a lot in Swedish history and, and all kinds of stuff like that. You know, the Swedish nationalism even has its own, its own history, very different from uh, our, our patriotic movements. We're going to take a quick break, and we're back with the one and only yes. Roger Devlin. Right after this, uh, we have covered his stop in Estonia. Now we are talking about his stop in Stockholm, Sweden, this almost island city. Uh, if, if you don't know the geographic tendencies, we'll be right back. Informing citizens, pursuing liberty. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News. I'm Jerry Barmash. A group of mercenary soldiers had been advancing toward Moscow before its leader reportedly agreed to stand down on Saturday. Military analyst Mike Lyons says the facts from this would-be coup are minimal but important. For all that's happened, Vladimir Putin is weaker today than he was when this started. And, and if that's the only thing Prigozhin wanted to get out of this, uh, even sacrificing himself now as he's been exiled to Belarus, um, maybe that is going to, have, from his perspective, feel like it's been worth it. The White House says President Biden is monitoring developments after briefly delaying a scheduled trip to Camp David. Former President Trump says he will contribute to the legal fund for January 6th defendants. He spoke at a private event Thursday hosted by a group raising funds for those charged in the 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol. In a video of the speech posted on social media, Trump said, quote, you have great people and they've been made to pay a price. He also made claims that BLM and Antifa were behind the riot. The support ship that launched the final dive of the Titan submersible returned to Canada. The Polar Prince arrived at St. John's, Newfoundland with its flags flown at half-mast. Experts believe that all five passengers aboard the small submersible died instantly due to an implosion as they descended toward the Titanic wreck site. Canadian officials have officially launched a safety investigation. After a search spanning nearly five days, search crews finally located fragments of the Titan on the ocean floor last Thursday. I'm John Schaefer. Former Vice President Mike Pence is calling for a federal 15-week abortion ban as the U.S. marks one year since the end of Roe v. Wade. The 2024 presidential candidate spoke Saturday at the Faith and Freedom Conference in Washington. U.S. intelligence agencies are still divided on where COVID-19 came from. That's according to a new report from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. This is USA News. Okay, I'm talking funny because I'm in the witness protection program. I have too much credit card debt and I don't want people to find me. Okay, I'm just kidding. We're going to talk about credit card debt. Right, those plastic things that we all have in our wallet. Are you in your 50s or 60s and you're still carrying around a mound of credit card debt. Wouldn't it be nice to start banking that money and save a little money for retirement down the road? We help people restructure their credit card debt all the time. We show people how they can get out of credit card debt in months, not years. Listen, you'll be carrying around credit card debt for the rest of your life unless you deal with it right now. We offer a free consultation so you can learn how you can finally wipe out your credit card debt and start saving money. Give us a free call right now. Call Debt Solutions Network now. 866 866- 451 That's 
Welcome back, everybody. It's uh, how can you call this work when you get to <laughs> come in and uh, talk to people like Mark Weber and Roger Devlin, two men. I, I'm honored to be able to call them friends, but two men that I uh, have the utmost respect for their work and uh, their character and the way that they go about their business. And it's just a wonderful thing. 19 years on the radio uh, d- doing doing it like this. I mean, th- these are the people that I wanted to interview. We could have we could have done the traditional talk radio thing. We could have read uh, press releases from the GOP or Conservative Incorporated and talked to people who were all saying the same things, reading off the same script. Or we could talk to people who are actually interesting, people who have gone a different path, people who have risked something. People who have contributed something, and that's what we've done. And for 19 years, you've made it possible, ladies and gentlemen, and I thank you for that. And we're talking about Roger Devlin's book. I actually owe Roger a debt of gratitude here, and I have thanked him privately. Now I will thank him publicly uh, for reviewing the book that I contributed the opening chapter to, The Honorable Cause of Free South. And uh, he wrote a review for American Renaissance that was uh, quite... uh, Quite well, obviously excellent. I mean, it was something written by Roger Devlin, but I had told Jared that I had contributed this opening chapter. And then the next thing I know, there's a review by Roger Devlin. I didn't even know that it had been assigned or that it was forthcoming. And uh, this is a book that has been reviewed by uh, quite a few people, including Clyde Wilson, uh, many reviewers from abroad, Remy Tremblay of Canada, Sasha Rossmuller of Germany, uh, Dr. Tom Sunich of Croatia. But Roger, your uh, review of the book was uh, was very, very good. And I appreciate you for taking the time to not well, only read you. it, thank but to you write about much. it. Thank you very much. Sure, you can find that on the back pages, I guess, of American Renaissance still. Uh, uh, that was a delightful book. I hope it has an influence. Well, thank you for saying that. It has done well on Amazon, and uh, I'm sure it, it, thanks to the assist from you, amongst others. But I'll tell you, I, I only bring that up to say this. Uh, I have never been a part of a book, my own book in 2010 or this book, that has been translated. Here we are now eight years after the original publication of Sexual Utopia and Power celebrating uh, another translation uh, of it. Uh, there Third translation, Sweden. that's right. Third translation. I mean, that is some stank, that is some shelf life, uh, pun intended. <laughs> and uh, you write yeah. here uh, at the close of your speech, which uh, the, the transcript of which will be posted to thepoliticalcesspool.org this week. It can be found at countercurrents.com already. Uh, but you write that adaptive sexuality will return one way or another because it's nature's way. Uh, but there are no guarantees that our own descendants will be the ones practicing it. And I don't care very much what sexual or family practices will prevail in future Muslim Swedistan. My concern is with my own right. people and civilization, uh, of which the Swedish people are a part. So here you are in Sweden. What, uh, Roger, I, 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 two, two questions. Well, first of all, let me ask you this. I, I'm going to ask you in a moment um, what gives us hope, uh, because that, that's sort of the theme yeah. of the night. But what, uh, yeah. what is it about your book and the topic that your book is uh, addressing that has given it so much staying power? Well, uh, geez, I don't know. Uh, I did write it in part. I was inspired by what I saw as the uh, the weaknesses of the typical conservative movement treatment of feminism and the sexual revolution, which is mostly dominated by 
Oh, the male protective instinct, really. I mean, there, there's sort of an unwritten rule that uh, the blame for all of these things has to go on men exclusively. And uh, so one of, the, one of the things that makes my book different is I showed how the, fem- the female sexual nature plays into the sexual revolution. And it wasn't simply a matter of wicked men persuading foolish women to, uh, to give them sex outside of marriage. Uh, there's a, you know, there, there, there's a specifically sexual female sexual revolution that can be seen like in the writings of, you know, in Cosmo and the writings of Helen Gurley Brown and all that. That's very different from the, the male view because men and women are so different. Uh, and I wanted to make that clear to, uh, to a male audience primarily, although I've discovered I've been, I've been delighted, delightfully surprised how many women really seem to enjoy the, my book, and there were lots of women in attendance uh, at at the Swedish event. You know, women who were active, it? like in trying to uh, limit limit the damage of feminism in the Swedish church and in Swedish society. When when left unattended, I mean, it, it can go either way. But do you believe that innately and naturally that women want to be put under authority? And, and that that may be what's drawing people uh, to well, the message, they want this message of truth. I mean, it's like it's that's like asking you know do children want to be put under authority yes and no there there's there's a side that that wants to do just whatever they want to do you know that's that's part of human nature but they you know they work best when women are are in the long run happiest when they are uh, embedded in a family and a community and uh, as for that matter do do men as well so, you know, I, yeah. The, well, I, I, I've said are, that. I've said that publicly. I mean, most men want to be led, too, but that's a little bit different than sure. the way women need to be led. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, as I said, that uh, adaptive sexuality, sexuality, the way it works, you know, family, strong families, it's going to make a return. But we got to make sure that it's our own people and that we don't get, you know, substitute right. it out so we're, we're we're working against the clock in places like sweden we gotta we gotta put our own house in order uh okay at the same that, time that, as we protect our societies from from mass immigration before we go to uh your third appearance your third speech yeah. on this tour in another european capital let me ask you this before the time runs out on this segment uh, and we ask this of mark weber too i mean we see the tr- the trends we see the trajectory what gives us hope? Where where can we invest some level of hope in right now in this dark hour? Well, I got. I mean, uh, as regards sexual issue, I got. I got a lot of hope just from the amount of interest uh, that I found in Sweden. <laughs> as I say, it's a country that's been hit very badly, worse than perhaps any other single Western country by by the feminist revolution. And we got a big crowd, and and there were two other speakers, not just me, but it was like an all day event. We were talking about these problems and how to how to restore uh, how to restore he- healthy courtship and marriage and family life, and they were all with me. It, you know, a lot of a lot of people in Sweden are unhappy with the way things are, and and they're doing something about it. And the translation of my book is just you know for them that's just a part of that story, their the, their own story of uh, 
what, doing what they have to do to save uh, to save Sweden for their own posterity. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Roger, because we have about a minute remaining in this segment, and then we're going to get to your uh, right. third and final speaking a stop yes. on this uh, European tour that you had. That you had, but uh, if you're a young man, uh, let's just say you're a young yeah. man, you can live anywhere in the world. Where do you want to live if it comes? Uh, if the question is finding a mate in terms of attractiveness and in terms of culture, do you want to go to Estonia? Do you want to go to Sweden? Uh, Estonia, it, well, Estonia has been protected. Communism actually protected Estonia from uh, ironically uh, so. Some, uh, right, yes, and and so does so does the very unusual and difficult Estonian language. They're not as as subject to you know the influence of English language media there, and that has protected them as well. So probably uh, Estonia would be a better place to look for a mate. I saw lots of women with children, you know, more than you do in, in Sweden when I was in uh, Estonia. You know, families out together. All right, very good. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. If you're gentlemen, I guess, <laughs> if you're young and can yep. move abroad, uh, that might be a place to look. Because I, I brought this up with Mark. I mean, Estonia op- uh, uh, occupies a very fascinating, to me, corner of europe i mean it's a very obscure corner of europe but it's sort of different than everywhere yes. else i mean what would you say to that about, yes, it about, about yes. as, what about as geographic very soviet very different from russia too you know it was ruled by russia for so long but it it looks totally different this is something solzhenitsyn noticed when he when he lived there briefly in the 1960s it, it was very un-soviet he felt like he was abroad, even though he was still in the Soviet Union. It does look like a, a Western European country in many ways. Well, does it does it have any commonality with Scandinavia? I mean, because it's right there, just below Finland, but, mostly, but north of all the rest of Europe. Mostly with Finland. Mostly with Finland. The languages are related, and there've been a lot of since the fall of the Soviet Union. There've been a lot of. Uh, like joint projects between Finland and Estonia. It's something that that uh, that you do notice. There are you know fair number of Finnish tourists. So yeah, there there is a common cultural basis there and a common linguistic basis. But still fascinating because I mean you can talk to people all the time. Oh, I went to France. I went to uh, London. I went to Australia. I went to Canada. I mean, how many people have went to Estonia? I mean. Not many. I mean, right, it's, it's right. A, well, the, a different kind Brody of place. Brody chose the venue very carefully. He he said he wanted people, first-time visitors, to see Europe at its best. And in a way, uh, Estonia is is Europe at its best. In some oh, that, ways. Med- that medieval aesthetic. I mean, we go back to that. I've been to yes. it a handful of times already tonight, but uh, very fascinating and interesting. Well, uh, so uh, Roger's been on. He's addressed his uh, address in Estonia and also in Sweden. But he made another stop, and we're going to talk about that next. The Honorable Cause of Free South is a collection of 12 essays written by Southern Nationalist authors. The book explores topics such as what is the Southern nation, what is Southern nationalism, and how can we achieve a free and independent Dixie. The Honorable Cause answers questions on our own terms. The book invites readers to understand for themselves why a free and independent Dixie is both preferable and possible. The book pulls in some of the biggest producers of pro-South content, including James Edwards, the host and creator of The Political Cesspool, and Wilson Smith, author of Charlottesville Untold, Arkansas congressional candidate and activist Neil Kumar, host and creator of the Dissident Mama podcast, Rebecca Dillingham, 
author of A Walk in the Park, My Charlottesville Story, Identity Dixie's Patrick Martin, and yours truly, Michael Hill, founder and president of the League of the South, as well as several other authors. The Honorable Cause is available now at Amazon.com. In Message 1, we said that Satan, the father of lies, John 8.44, gave the left evil, spiritual power, the more they used the lies. The political left today is the beast. Now the Bible confirms that the dragon gave him, the beast, his power. Revelation 13.2 The extra evil spiritual power that comes from the beast by their lying is what accounts for the string of the leftist criminals in the government that have never yet been prosecuted. It also explains why American capitalists support communism in the 21st century. Note 1. That behavior of capitalists was predicted by Vladimir Lenin, a cell of the beast. Note 2. Henry Ford was a capitalist, and he would have never gone communist. The difference between Ford and the present day end-time capitalists is that Ford was born and educated in the Kingdom of Christ, 19th century America, the New Jerusalem, Revelation 21. Always great to talk to Mark Weber and Roger Devlin. We have the chance to talk to both of them tonight. Roger Devlin, for one more segment, i got to share you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, a little bit of behind-the-scenes information here. When I give a speech, I write a speech about once every three years, and it's sort of like a band that travels from city to city. It's the same speech, but it's a different city, so that audience has never heard it before. And um, so I give the same speech from time to time to different audiences. Uh, but Roger didn't do that on his most recent European tour, and that's something that uh, flummoxes me to an extent. I mean, Roger, you gave three <laughs> different speeches in three different, uh, on different locales. Subjects. and uh, Yeah, three different subjects, three different locations. And uh, you didn't do that. You didn't play all the hits. You played uh, new songs every time. And uh, we moved now from Estonia to Stockholm, Sweden, and now to another European capital uh, where you addressed the... I think I, uh, maybe I should mention before we get into the countercurrent sure. uh, uh, conference that uh, there, there was about a week and a half of free time that I had between the, the second and third events. And I What'd actually uh, went to Budapest, Budapest, Hungary. Now, Budapest is a, a city that I saw for the first time not too long after the collapse of communism. I was there as a young man in the early 90s. It was still rather poor. Uh, it's totally different now. It's, it's very prosperous under Viktor Orban's government. There are a lot of people in the American press trying to convince you that he's some kind of dictator. It's absurd. Uh, people can say whatever they want in, in Hungary, probably more than we can in America. And it's, it's just very prosperous. Um, uh, you can see it just walking along the boulevards uh, everywhere, restaurants and cafes crowded with people. It's attracting um, foreign, a lot of foreign uh, tourists, uh, even you know, some people who think the way we do. There are even actually refugees from like Western Europe, uh, like Frenchmen who are settling in Hungary because they, they want their kids to grow up around Europeans instead of, you know, uh, the people the, the French government is bringing in now. So that was a, that was a very interesting experience. Well, I mean, you know, we keep hearing about Orban being, you know, a guy that we have some common interest with. I mean, where would you say that yes. 
In your experience, Roger, and I know that's all that you could speak to, but in your experience, where are people doing the best in Europe? I, I think that's a, that's a good question. That uh, Hungary, Hungary might be a good choice, actually. Um, Estonia's doing well. Estonia, um, unfortunately, elected a, a little bit left-of-center government recently, but it's, it's still doing well. But Hungary, uh, Orban's party has a two-thirds majority. Uh, unlike the Poles, who supposedly have this right-wing government, they're keeping out mass immigration. The Poles have just decided to open the floodgates yeah, yeah, yeah. and let 400,000 people in. I talked about that awful, with Jared. Awful. Jared was on with me on the yeah. May 27th broadcast because he, 27th. like you and like Mark, were, had planned a multi-city and nation tour of Europe. I mean, your tours intersected at, at one point and then deviated at others. But Jared, you know, of course, was banned at his first stop. He as soon as he got off the plane at his first by the call, he was sent back up by the polls. And that's the thing. And I talked to Jared about this. Yes. when He appeared in May. He, he told us about all the places he was going to go to and what he would have talked about and what mm-hmm. the people he was going to meet. Uh, but it was the polls, and the polls, it was just, you know, it was a, an interesting thing. It was, just, you hear po- the, the polls are sort of right of center, and I, I believe that their own national yes. government elected Jesus Christ as their president or, yes. or yes. the Lord, yes. something like the Lord of their country. And then, but they're sitting home, Jared Taylor? I mean, that doesn't really add up. That's right. There, there is There is a powerful left still in Poland. They're not... They're not in charge of the whole country, but they're still very influential. That's not so much the case in Hungary. Hungary is probably the best governed country in Europe right now. They uh, got a real border. Do they not? Like a two-thirds. Yes, it does. Yeah, they built a border fence. Uh, they had they had a brief migrant crisis uh, a few years ago. Uh, there were you know you may have seen pictures of uh, uh, Budapest train stations being overrun by Middle Easterners, but they got that under control very quickly and built a fence, and uh, the country is just prospering mightily. It's totally different from what I saw as a young man a generation ago shortly after the collapse of communism. All right, very good. So, I mean, it it looks like we still have... Anybody can always find fault with somebody, but yes, I mean, for... Good or bad, it looks like Hungary is a place where that that that's a standard for our people right now. Now, let's talk about the countercurrents yeah. event. Now, we're we're spending the yeah. least amount of time on this because last week, uh, the program director Cyan, who we all know and love, sent us uh, the very talented young man Austin to uh, share with us his reflections on the countercurrent spring event at another European capital. Uh, in Europe, but you were there too, Roger, and this was the third stop and the third different speech. Now, share with us uh, the topic of your address as well as your takeaways uh, from this conference, not only uh, the topic of the conference, but the people in the city at which you were at. Yes. Well, uh, we got about, although it was a private invitation-only event, we got 40 people come, many of them from quite distant locales, you know, a lot of Americans were there. And I want to say, if you have any countercurrents fans among your uh, audience, uh, it's not that difficult to get invited to such events if you are interested. Uh, just, you know, sending a small monthly donation, enough to get behind the paywall on the countercurrent site is enough. You will get uh, invitations to one uh, American retreat and one European retreat every year. That's the plan. 
there's going to be an American retreat this fall, and there will be another European uh, uh, meeting uh, probably next spring. Uh, it's already under discussion. Uh, but anyway, this one that was just uh, two or three weeks ago, uh, it was a delightful event. I, I myself spoke about Alain de Benoit on populism. My talk has been posted at Countercurrents, and the video, the actual video of me delivering the talk was just posted at Countercurrents like uh, today or yesterday. And uh, I, this is a, a book that I translated, so that's what uh, Greg asked me to speak about. And uh, I've read now a number of titles on, on populism, and Alain de Benoit is on a whole other level. He, he uh, He'll teach you. He'll teach you know anybody a lot that they don't know about the history of populism. About the, another one of his themes is the fading importance of the old right versus left distinction, uh, and uh, and and you know. So I just I basically just summarized some of uh, some of his themes from this important book. It's called the Populist Moment. Uh, it was published in French a few years ago. My English translation uh, is due to come out in a month or two from Countercurrents Publishing. So you'll be able to read the book itself soon. But uh, it's, it's a wonderful analysis. Um, populism is not really an ideology. Uh, it's not something that can be definitely located on the right-left spectrum or anything. It's a it's a kind of a configuration of forces that uh, occasionally recurs when what the major parties are offering the public does not correspond to any public demand. And that's been the case now for a generation. You know, uh, three-quarters of Americans are opposed to mass immigration, and yet there's this tacit agreement between the Republicans and the Democrats not to talk about it and never to run a candidate that, that actually gives – uh, Americans a choice on the issue. Uh, Donald Trump took, of course, took the Republicans by surprise. They never wanted uh, a candidate who was talking about even so much as illegal immigration, uh, still less anybody who, who talked about uh, building a wall on the border. But as soon as Trump made that speech, he immediately shot up to the top of the polls because he was, he was meeting a political demand that the main parties were not. And that is the characteristic of populism. It's when the, when the powerful are out of sync with ordinary people and don't give them any choice that they're interested in making. And uh, that's true in a lot of Western countries now, including uh, Alain de Benoit's native France. You know, uh, the last presidential election, 85% of Frenchmen polled said they would be disappointed in the result uh, no matter who gets elected. They didn't like any of the candidates. And that's, that, that's very common uh, uh, across the West now. A generation ago, you had, like, families voting for the right or voting for the left across generations, and now people will vote for a different party every time or just abstain from voting, you know, because the, the, the big parties just don't offer the public what they're interested in anymore. So that's, that, is, that is the nature of populism. It's not an ideology. It's a political configuration uh, involving an out-of-touch elite and an and a angry citizenry. Roger, I got to ask you one more thing, and thank you for that breakdown. I want to sure. read. I, I I found it uh, in the last commercial break. The countercurrents. Uh, 
review I, I don't know if it's a review it's the testimonials of sexual utopia and power and and here's just a few oh, love okay. and sex have never been confusing have never been confusing to me i have roger devlin to thank for that um, also this uh from a reviewer dr devlin this is what i was uh, stabbing at earlier dr yes. devlin is perhaps the best role model there is for independent scholars on the right his writings can be found on nearly every website the mainstream fears. Now, that is, I think, one of the most incredible compliments that one can be paid. You're an independent scholar, I, uh, and you're everywhere. Yes, I, I was very pleased by that. There was is credit to a Benjamin VROL, which, if you don't know it, was actually the late Martin Rojas, who worked for Jared for, ah, for so many years. He, I did not know he that. He wrote those words, and yes, I didn't know it at the time. But yes, that 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 was that was his assessment, and yes, I was very honored to see him uh, to say that about me. And then here on the on on the show tonight, uh, but and 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 in other compliments as well. Get the book "Sexual Utopian Power." It's a countercurrents publication. You can get it through them and elsewhere. Uh, we want to thank both. Mark you can't get it Weber. at Amazon. It's been banned from Amazon, <laughs> but uh, I think you can get it from Barnes and Noble and certainly from Countercurrents. All right, let me ask you this, Roger. One uh, one uh, question remaining. If you could live on anywhere, if you could live anywhere that you visited on your most recent tour of Europe, where would it be? Oh, I liked the last uh, the last city I visited, which I'm not supposed to say what it is, but uh, it was a delightful oh. <laughs> uh, town. And, uh, and so I encourage any, anybody who has any interest in Europe to get involved with countercurrents and maybe try to come to our... Our, our next uh, retreat next year will be somewhere in Europe, some other lovely place in Europe, I'm sure. All right. For Mark uh, Weber and Roger Devlin, uh, I, we will, I, I'm signing off. No, we got another hour remaining, and you don't want to miss it. Uh, but I want to thank both Mark and Roger. Thank you, Roger. Talk to you again soon. We'll see you at Amrin and V-Dare. Anna Lopil is proud to announce the release of a new translation, Leon de Grel in Exile, by Jose Luis Jerez Reisco. Readers of The Burning Souls will already be familiar with de Grel's life before and during the Second World War, his service on the Eastern Front, and his involuntary post-war exile in Franco, Spain. This new work tells the story of his life in exile in detail, replete with first-hand accounts from Spanish nationalists and friends of de Grel. During his time in Spain, de Grel did not wallow in sadness. Despite the atrocities inflicted upon him and his family by the victorious Allied powers, he stayed remarkably active in European nationalist politics and left a lasting impression on both his personal friends and those from around the European world who took inspiration from his tenacious idealism. De Grel's enduring legacy in Spain is well-deserved. Such a legacy also deserves to be spread to both sides of the Atlantic and beyond. Antelope Hill is proud to be the first to bring this unparalleled biography to the English reader, Get Leon DeGrell in exile today at antelopehillpublishing.com. You're listening to Resolution Radio. 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 ResolutionRDO.com. 
herbs have been used by people since the dawn of time. When Rockefeller introduced allopathic medicine, many herbal remedies fell by the wayside as people put their faith in prescription pills and the world just gets sicker. Here at Heathen Herbs, we look to the past and to nature for answers. We offer tinctures, magnesium skin cream, lip balm, tooth powder, colloidal silver throat spray, and more. Check us out at HeathenHerbs.com. You're listening to the Political Cess Pool on ResolutionRDO.com. Call and listen now at 607-203-5423. That's 607-203-5423. Thanks for listening to Project Schoolyard Volume 2. For more information about the project, as well as lyric to the songs on this CD, please visit www.tightrope.cc. You can also find jokes, news articles, a photo gallery, free CD downloads, and a secure online shopping cart. We carry a full line of flags, t-shirts, CDs, books, stickers, and other products of interest to racially conscious white people. Please visit www.tightrope.cc. To the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program, and here to guide you through the murky waters of the Political Cesspool is your host, James Edwards. When you're talking with old friends like Mark Weber in the first hour and Roger Devlin in the second, you just run out of time. There was quite a bit I left on the table that I had in mind to talk with Mark about. We just didn't have the time to get to it. And one really important thing that I wanted to address with Roger, actually it was something that I told Roger about an hour before the show that we would be sure to get into, but time ran out on us as well as it so often does. I mean, commercial talk radio is a cruel master after all, but one of the things I wanted to get Roger to comment on, really either of them would have been wonderful to have commented on, on this, is that in this age of censorship and repressive tolerance and oppression, the fact that we are now having better and more well-attended and regular events, I mean, truly professional events now, my background in this movement goes back to, as you know, 1999 and 2000 with Pat Buchanan and then my own race for the Tennessee State House of Representatives in 2002. And then in 2004, we started the radio program. So I've got about nearly a quarter of a century under my belt now, almost. Uh, but uh, you go back that far, and the only events on the annual calendar, you, you had American Renaissance and the Council of Conservative Citizens. Now, they would have annual events, and uh, you would have a few more here and there, sometimes, not regularly, but maybe something would pop up here and there. But now, now, even in this age where the amount of opposition is so much more ardent and restrictive than it was then and yet still you are having more and more events more top shelf high quality people breaking through 
then at any point during my career, that is entirely encouraging. We didn't even mention the fact that Amrin is still forthcoming. You've got the American Renaissance Conference coming up in August. I'll be there. Uh, the 11th through the 13th, you, you had the V-Dare conference, which just happened last weekend. I mean, I, you, Roger was there. I had a, a, a whole segment aside for Roger to talk about his takeaways from the V-Dare conference. We didn't even get to that. There are so many now, you can't get to them all. All professional, all elite in terms of the attendees and the speakers. And uh, even with our best efforts last week and tonight to cover as many as we could, we have still left some on the shelf and i think that's a wonderful problem to have uh but nevertheless that was something that i had intended to cover with roger we didn't get a chance to get to it in the second hour and so we'll make mention of that fact now uh in our third hour as we transition into another first time guest now this is something that excites me even after all these years on the radio we have our program mainstays you've heard from two of them tonight people that have been appearing since uh, <laughs> at the very first year we've been on the air uh, but this year, even since the first broadcast in January of uh, the current year, as it were, we have had a, a, a number of fantastic first-time guests, including a number of fantastic uh, first-time guests who are young. And uh, gone are the days where yours truly, as a middle-aged man, is the youngest man person in the room. No, we have some fantastic top-shelf uh, activists and advocates uh, who are far younger than I even uh, who are doing great work. And we're going to introduce you to another one of them right now. Marty Phillips. Marty Phillips is the author of two popular works of fiction that have been published by Antelope Hill Publishers. You hear their ads on our program regularly. Uh, his two books, Let Them Look West, and his most recent book, Millennium. And he will be with us right now. He is with us right now to discuss these two novels. Marty, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's very great to have you on tonight and uh, always great to have anybody associated with Antelope Hill uh, with us. So uh, I've got your bio right here. We're going to read through it in just a moment, but tell the audience uh, as you would and uh, as you wish anything you can tell us about your uh, your life and your background uh, for a public setting as a, as a means of introduction, and then we'll move on to your books. Yeah, well, I uh, I grew up in a conservative family in uh, rural America, and so coming of age and how uh, the culture and the politics has changed um, since I was since I was very young has definitely had a profound effect on me. And it was uh, one of the things that inspired me to write uh, was living through all of these um, just vast and sudden changes in the world. Uh, particularly after 9-11 and the, the rise of the security state and then the shifting demographics and immigration. I think people of my generation really uh, at a young age got to see things just change. And uh, from what we had experienced in our somewhat stable childhoods, very radically and, and very, um, very clearly. And so that was one of the things that inspired me to, to write was observing these kind of sweeping changes and trying to make sense of them. So I was born in 1980. And if you look back from here to there, 1980 almost looks like the halcyon days of the American experiment. I mean, it's almost like the 50s compared to what we are uh, and, and where we are now. Uh, if you don't mind showing your card here, Marty, when were you born exactly? 
Uh, I was born in 1992. All right, so 92. I mean, so uh, now, uh, 92, uh, you grow up uh, in this increasingly degenerate age in which all of our institutions by then have fallen, obviously, uh, whether it be academia, the church, government, universities, uh, media, I mean, you name it. I mean, they've all gone awry. Uh, and you have this tremendous amount of pressure on you to conform to the system and its narrative. Uh, where was the escape hatch? I mean, at, at what point did you see and uh, understand that as a young man born in 1992, that this is not right? Uh, we've got to find a better and a different path. How did you escape uh, the, the, the tide of the rest that the, the rest of society is currently adrift upon? Well, there's a number of factors. Um, the first is, as you said before, most of the institutions, if not all of them, had had definitely been taken over by people with ill intent by that point. Um, but even between the early 90s and today, the observable difference in how openly people use these institutions for uh, for very negative things was still not quite so bad as it was now. And so I think I'm while still somewhat young, I, I am old enough to have seen just the kind of the hind end of that 90s kind of wholesomeness that was still being presented. Yeah, I um, mean, yeah, even 92, near the end of, I remember near the, end of the decade. And let's skip this first break because I want to give Marty all the time here. I, I had a little bit longer introduction than I had intended, but uh, we'll, we'll take the bottom of the hour break. But, uh, yeah, I mean, 92, I was 12 years old in 92. I turned 12 years old in the summer of 92. My birthday was actually just two days ago. So the summer of 92, I turned 12 years old, and it, it, it just it was a world apart from where we are now. And so I, I can't even imagine. I mean, being born in 80, even only a decade prior, it, it seems it would have been quite a bit harder being born 10 years or, or certainly 20 years later if you're, if you're born in, in the early 2000s to have you know, taken a different route, although a lot of people now are doing it. And so, again, Marty, go back to that. How did you do that? Well, it's interesting because um, the Internet has caused a lot of negatives in our culture, I would say. Uh, the things that are bad about it in some ways are things that can be good about it. And the, the big factor there is the ability to put like-minded like like-minded people together, uh, people who think the same way. And so while it does allow different groups of people who have uh, very bad ideas into one place to combine forces. It also lets people who are maybe young and isolated and, and more on the right or more reactionary or, or traditional find that there actually are other people out there who have the same views, even though in our general culture around us, it, sometimes it can seem like everyone's just marching to the same, the same beat of the same drum. And it, it's very difficult to approach people because you're not sure, you know, if they're going to be someone who agrees with you or someone doesn't. And things are so things are so tense right now around those things that you don't know when it's necessarily safe to even bring up some topics with some people. So while there's many negatives about the Internet, one thing about my generation was we had it at a pretty young age. And so you can actually find people uh, with similar ideas to you if you're fortunate. Um, and that can that can be kind of a morale boost. 
Now, folks, we're talking with Marty Phillips, who has two works of fiction, and we'll get into the importance of works of fiction in, in just a minute, in a quick minute, uh, published by Antelope Hill, our good friends at Antelope Hill Publishers. And now, Marty grew up in the rural hinterlands of America, spending most of his time reading when not outdoors. And ever since he was young, he always wanted to be a fiction writer. As a child of the 90s and of the, the early 2000s, he experienced the loss of a coherent and constructive culture just as he was coming of age. And this had a profound effect on him. He's not a political person in the sense that he doesn't involve himself in the mechanical functions of politics or political activism. But he understands that his purpose is to write stories that contain themes and aesthetics that stand in opposition to the spirit of our age, which is increasingly anti-beauty anti-civilization, and anti-order, and more recently, anti-white. Uh, so uh, through his work and through his activism, Marty uh, hopes to inspire and entertain people, and I think that's important too, and that should not be discounted, entertain people who reject the oppressively ugly culture uh, that we live under with an alternative vision that appeals to the ethics and ideals that are rapidly being lost to future generations. You know, Marty, I, I had written one time or had said before, I guess, that... Uh, Beauty is where egalitarianism goes to die. Everybody knows what a beautiful woman looks like. Uh, everybody knows uh, that if you go into Target and you see these obese uh, women as the swimsuit models, that's that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, but I wonder, though, uh, you being uh, a little more than a decade younger than I am, and which which is still not necessarily young. I mean, you're you're in your your uh, early thirties now, uh, but uh, do you believe, as I believe, that if and when, and when, I think, the tide turns and the path to prosperity, the path of least resistance, the path to social uh, acceptance uh, means adopting our viewpoints, that most of society will just fall in line? I mean, have you witnessed that at all, or do you believe that these are true believers in that uh, ugly and obesity is beautiful and having no standards is better than having standards? Or uh, Don't you think it's easier for society to fall back in line with the truth and, and, and with our message than the message of the current regime? Uh, I think there's some truth to that. Uh, I think there's, there's other factors at play. Um, I think that technology and uh, social media and these these platforms that people spend so much of their lives on has this definitely has this kind of warping effect when it comes to how people view the world and what people even see as beautiful in the first place. And so in order for people to correct back to, I get a normal system of what is beautiful, what is not, what is good and healthy, what is not, I think that some of these uh, platforms that get a lot of very resentful and unhappy people together in one place and harness that negative energy to create these movements that we've seen only accelerating with the increased use of technology. I think there's going to have to either be a, a very purposeful stepping back, realizing that these things aren't healthy and that they can um, only increase negative trends, or there's going to have to be some kind of uh, I wouldn't say like technological collapse, but there's going to have to be some some correction, whether it's purposeful or whether it's unintentional. 
Well, that's for sure. I mean, it's circ- time, it's circumstance will have to change. Maybe we need to suffer more. I believe that we will. I mean, obviously, it's not going to turn on a diamond for no good reason. There will be, I mean, maybe it's a nuclear war with Russia. Maybe it's an economic collapse. I mean, who knows? Maybe it's a deus ex machina type of event that we can't even foresee. But something will have to change. But when it does... I, I don't think that uh, our message is that far removed from what people are willing to accept, as 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 some people may hope for, that our enemies may hope for. But let let let's move now to your work. Uh, now that we've established yourself as a younger author and advocate, uh, works of fiction. I mean, so much of our movement is dealt with uh, policy and politics and issue-oriented books or autobiographies. It seems as though works of fiction. Uh, aren't that high on the totem pole but i think that it is very important that our that our side uh, adopt an interest in the arts uh in, in order to reach people and that's uh, of course where fiction comes in in, in a part and, and we had earlier this year back in february i believe uh spencer j quinn who authored the book uh, the no college club who which was a, a work of fiction and increasingly i'm interested in in, in promoting people and in, in whose books are or works of fiction, because I think that that's an important part of the puzzle. Uh, so why works of fiction, Marty? Uh, I'd say works of fiction primarily because that's what I grew up consuming so much of. Um, I spent a lot of time reading, and some of it some of it was historical books about either American history or ancient history and that sort of thing. But I also spent a lot of time uh, reading just either pulpy fiction or the classics and the books I realized that had the most profound effect on me as far as making me want to dream of something better and imagine most evocatively uh, a better world or a more beautiful world tended to be fictional books. And that could just be, that could just be me and my approach to reading and what I prefer to read but that had a very profound effect on me, and I wanted to see if I had the capability to replicate that for other people and have them get that sense of inspiration and wanting more and saying that there are better alternatives uh, through that medium. Well, again, let's, uh, let's double down on, the, on this question. How can and how do works of fiction reach our people in ways that works of uh, history and works of practical matters that we're dealing with and they here and now uh, reach them? And how has the enemy been able to use works of fiction to uh, further their cause? Yeah, there's it, kind of a fine line when you when you're writing about political elements in a fictional setting. There's always the conversation about, okay, a, am I writing something literary for its own sake or is this propaganda? And if it is propaganda, does it really matter if if what I'm saying is something that's good and should be striven for? But what what I tend to see is when when people on the left or people who have grievances with a functional society tend to write. Um, it comes across as very, very stilted, and there's not much inspiring about it at all, really. And you can see if you walk into any independent bookstore, you can definitely see what's being pushed. All these these fiction books that are clearly have it clearly have an aim that is 
along the lines of where our culture is going and, and where our leaders certainly intend for our culture to go. Um, so fiction has been used very effectively, whether it be you know, the, the marvelization and the Netflixization of culture when it comes to video entertainment, but also in, in the world of books and fiction as well uh, by people on the left. So I think it's important to try and get, get what interest you can from people who are interested in reading fiction and see if there's a chance to divert them to something that's a, a little more noble, perhaps, and might might give them ideas that are in the right direction. Um, but definitely it being used by the wrong sorts of people. If you walk into any independent bookstore, that's, that's clear just from taking a quick glance around. Well, we have to use every means at our dispersal. I mean, we have to use talk radio programs such as this. We have to use political, you know, uh, uh, traditional political means. We have to use works of fiction. We have to use arts, and movies, plays, stage productions. I mean, you name it. I mean, everything needs to be. We have to throw the kitchen sink at 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 the transcendent narrative of our day. Uh, and see what sticks, because that's the thing. People accept messages through various means. Some people prefer to read. Some people prefer to listen. Some people pre prefer to see. Uh, and we have to have something available. However people prefer to receive the message, we need to have capable people like Marty uh, ready to deliver it, uh, and if, if works of fiction, novels are their are their preferred method. Well, then we've got that covered. And so, when we come back from our next break, we're going to talk about uh, two of the most popular works of fiction that have been published by Antelope Hill Public uh, Publishing: "Let Them Look West," which was uh, Marty's uh, book from 2021, and "Millennium," which actually just came out last month. Uh, but Marty, how did you link up with our friends at Antelope Hill? How did that? Uh, collaboration uh, come about? Well, I actually, um, I had ordered one of their books. Um, I think someone someone shared uh, shared their Twitter account with me, I think. And I ordered their book, um, Scott Howard's The Transgender Industrial Complex. And I uh, read that book and I actually loaned it to some of my family members and they, they liked it too. And so as someone who was interested in writing, um, when I finished my first manuscript, uh, I sent them a copy of it and asked them if they were interested, uh, just because I was I was impressed by the their formatting, their work, uh, and how professional it was, and uh, the quality of that book that I had ordered from them. And so that's initially why I reached out to them originally, and luckily they were interested. Well, and luckily for all of us that they were, and when we come back, now that we've gotten this introductory segment uh, put behind us, not that, that we wanted to rush through it, uh, it was our honor to do it, but uh, now that you know Marty a little bit better, we're going to talk about his two books, available now at antelopehillpublishing.com, and we'll tell you about them all next. Proclaiming liberty across the land. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News. I'm Jerry Varmesh. 
the leader of one of the most feared mercenary organizations on earth, has reportedly struck a deal to halt the Wagner Group's march on Moscow, avoid treason charges, and live in exile in Belarus. The move comes a day after news that Yevgeny Prigozhin had marched his troops to within 120 miles of the Russian capital. Military analyst Mike Lyons tells me there are still uncertainties. And what happens to the mercenary group, the Wagner Group? Where do they go? Do they, are they become part of the regular Russian military now? Uh, lots of unanswered questions here. Lyons says the short term will be telling for Russian President Vladimir Putin. I think the next few hours, 24, 48 to 96 hours, will likely tell what what happens to him, whether he tries to consolidate power or what. The White House is monitoring for any changes. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan is accompanying President Biden to Camp David. A majority of Americans don't like that the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. According to a recent NBC News poll, 61% of Americans disapprove of the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. That occurred one year ago. Additionally, slightly more than half of the respondents stated that they strongly opposed the Dobbs decision, which effectively transferred the authority over abortion rights to individual states. The poll also showed that these perspectives do align with party affiliations. 92% of Democrats expressed their disapproval of the ruling, while 65% of Republicans said they approved. I'm John Schaefer. Special Counsel Jack Smith is asking for the start of former President Trump's classified documents trial to be pushed back until December. The special counsel filed the request Friday due to security clearances needed to be obtained. That will take longer than anticipated. Trump has pleaded not guilty to 37 criminal counts related to how he handled boxes full of classified documents. This is USA News. Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer, and again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? Low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airline travel. It's that easy. So call now and start packing. 800-215-5141. That's 800-215-5141. I have totally mismanaged the show tonight. I could have gone a full three hours with each of our, with each of our three guests tonight. Mark Weber, Roger Devlin, and now Marty Phillips. I, I uh, spent the last segment during the commercial break, uh, rather, reviewing the catalog at antelopehillpublishing.com. Folks, check it out, antelopehillpublishing.com. There really is something there for everyone, including these works of fictions by uh, Marty Phillips. So your first book, Marty, was Let Them Look West, and I'm reading now from the introduction and we only have a, a segment remaining with you we'll have to move very very quickly this is your uh this is the description of the book rob cohen has a mission he has reluctantly chosen to interview the newly reelected wyoming governor james alexander a populist politician 
who has seemingly reinvented not only his state's politics, but also its soul. No one could more strongly contrast with Cohen, a big city liberal journalist, than the rural Bible-thumping Alexander and his strained social and religious projects, which include constructing Mount Calvary, a monument to the crucifixion atop a man-made mountain. Cohen quickly becomes personally invested, and his trip to interview Alexander becomes a joust, pitting him uh, pitting his nihilism against the faith of the people whom he meets as he seeks to discern the lie uh, he is convinced hides at the heart of their righteous kingdom. At the same time, Cohen begins to realize that he himself is being swept up in the struggle beyond his understanding, orchestrated by forces out of his control. That is a gripping hook uh, that would encourage one to buy the book. Let Them Look West, which is available at AntelopePillPublishing.com, written by our friend Marty Phillips, who is making his, uh, making his debut appearance on the program right now. What motivated you? What gave you the inspiration to write such a story? It is a work of fiction. Uh, how did you come to it? I came to it for two reasons. The, the first part is that I was inspired by my own um, kind of low church Protestant conservative upbringing. And so I wanted to uh, pay a homage to to that upbringing and kind of explore that world a little more. And the other thing that kind of gave me the idea was it's inspired in part by the book uh, by Robert Penn Warren uh, called All the King's Men. And that book has has always fascinated me. Um, the dynamics of the kind of embedded journalist character and his own his own personal scruples, uh, kind of playing against his his interest in the politics that's going on around him. Um, so it, it's partly inspired by Penn Warren's work, but it's also me wanting to to pay uh, homage to my upbringing and, and my parents. It's a wonderful story, and it's certainly something that resonates with me, and I've written about this. I've spoken about this uh, for so many years. I mean, how can you disassociate your who you are with your upbringing and, 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 and me having been born into a Southern Baptist, a small Southern Baptist congregation? Wonderful pastor. Everybody who's a regular listener of this program knows the story. My pastor, lifelong friend of mine, and, um, you know, I was eventually <laughs> – I wasn't thrown out of the – Southern Baptist Convention, my entire congregation, my entire church body was thrown out of the Southern Baptist Convention because my pastor wouldn't expel me as a member after the SPLC had written some things about me that the um, uh, leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, didn't like. So uh, so I, it's, 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 it's a wonderful thing, and I, I, I can totally relate to the premise of this, and you put it to pen. And you got it published. And what has the reaction been? Uh, the reaction has been very has been very positive, um, even from people who aren't necessarily religious. Um, I've had people write me emails uh, about what they liked about it, e even though maybe they culturally don't gel with that kind of low church conservative Protestant upbringing. Um, I've had a lot of positive response from people who uh, felt like it kind of gave them a little bit of a view into that into that way of thinking, um, and so it's been it's been overall very positive. I can certainly relate to that low church, uh, rural uh, Southern Baptist upbringing because, of course, that was my background. It was a wonderful experience. I know that not everyone can relate to it. 
you know, I, I talk about this all the time. I, I can share a foxhole uh, with someone who wasn't of that background, that is a non-believer, you know, and in, in many ways far more quickly uh, than someone who was raised in the church but has uh, adopted all of the things that are killing our faith and our people. Uh, so it's 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 an interesting topic and one that we don't have time to get into tonight. But uh, but that is uh, something that I can relate to. And it was a wonderful upbringing. And if I had not had that upbringing, I cannot say for sure if I would have been here tonight. Uh, it, it for me, it all <laughs> it all came out good in the bake, I guess, uh, because here we are. And certainly being raised in the church, being raised in that low Protestant uh, rural church, Southern Baptist upbringing did not inhibit my sense of racial solidarity or anything else that uh, people are tuned in tonight to hear. This is a Christian broadcast. It is a pro-white broadcast. It is a pro-Southern broadcast. It is all of these things. Uh, but I could certainly relate to people who uh, do not share the faith uh, in some ways, in more ways uh, than I can with people who were raised in the church but uh, have uh, taken on this culture of death that is presented to them by the uh, establishment. So that is one book that you want to find out about at antelopehillpublishing.com. Uh, uh, that is uh, the book we were just mentioning. And now Millennium. Now, Millennium, I, I, I will only read one sentence from its description because I think that alone is enough for a hook. Millennium is your second novel, Marty, uh, which was just released last month. And uh, the opening uh, sentence of the Description reads, a World Trade Center worker finds himself in a time loop grappling with mortality and fate as he relives the events of September 11, 2001. One minute, two minutes remaining. Give us the overall uh, purpose of this book. Um, Millennium was my attempt to capture the millennial experience coming out of 9-11 into our current age. Uh, and tell that through uh, different vignettes that are all kind of kind of connected into one meta story that's about the millennial experience and life cycle uh, into modernity. If it's good enough for Antelope Hill Publishing, it's good enough for you, ladies and gentlemen. And I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, my time these last 40 minutes, if you can believe it's been that long already, getting to know Marty Phillips a little bit better. We've exchanged a couple of emails in advance of the appearance tonight, but this is my first time to talk to him, your first time to hear from him, I guess. Uh, but Let Them Look West 2021 Millennium, two works of fiction, both published by antelopehillpublishing.com, and it's two of their most popular works of fiction. Uh, and they're doing great work, and he's doing great work. Marty, what's next from you? Well, right now I'm uh, taking a little break after after finishing the last book, um, but my plan is to complete another novel that I've been working on for probably almost 10 years now. Uh, next, I don't know when I'll be done with it, but I've been making progress. Can you give us a teaser about what it's about? I mean, 10 years, that's about um, that's about a third of the life. Yeah, well, it's about it's a uh, it's a somewhat futurist novel about America in decline um, and how different characters are kind of dealing with infrastructure and other things getting getting worse and worse in an attempt to uh, to live some semblance of normal lives. 
I can't overstate my fandom of Antelope Hill Publishers and, and the people we've gotten to meet, the different authors and uh, contributors that they have made uh, present for this radio program. I very much enjoyed talking with Marty tonight, talking about his uh, works of fiction that have already been published. He's mentioning now a, a forthcoming project, but Let Them Look West and Millennium. You can find them tonight at antelopehillpublishing.com. Uh, but Marty, do you believe as I believe and as Mark Weber and Roger Devlin, who preceded you in the program tonight, believe that uh, we can turn this thing around? I mean, is it all lost? I mean, we all see, we all have all, all of these reasons for being dejected and despondent, but do you believe that we can turn this around? Oh, I think there's always a reason to have hope. Well, one of the reasons to have hope is the fact that uh, someone born in 1992 is producing these uh, works that you can draw inspiration from and uh, draw a message from. And we would encourage you to do just that by going to antelopehillpublishing.com. Let them look west. Millennium. Marty, a final word from you to the audience tonight. Um, I would just say uh, keep your keep your aesthetic sensibilities about you, um, whether it's if you look for edification in fiction or in art or uh, through other avenues, um, never never accept what's offered to you by our current culture as things that you should be entertained by. Always look for something better. I think amen to that would be the appropriate response after the uh, contents of Let Them Look West. Uh, Marty is the author, Marty Phillips. And uh, Marty, great to talk to you tonight. I trust this will not be the last time, but I've thoroughly enjoyed the first time. And we'll talk to you again soon, as well as other contributors from antelopehillpublishing.com. Find your inner rebel at Dixie Republic, the world's largest Confederate store, located in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. The anti-white, anti-Christ, anti-Southern world ends at the asphalt. Welcome to God's country. Log on to DixieRepublic.com to view our Southern merchandise, from flags to t-shirts to artwork. At the store, browse through our extensive collection of belt buckles and have a custom-made leather belt handcrafted in our Johnny Rebs gun and leather shop. That's DixieRepublic.com, where you can meet all of your Southern needs. While you're waiting, drop by our Confederate corner for a free cup of coffee and good conversation. Remember, there are no strangers here, just friends who haven't met yet. Dixie Republic, we're not just a roadside attraction, we're a destination for our people. For more information, visit DixieRepublic.com. Introducing Managed IT Services from NPI. We offer top-notch data backup and recovery, email spam protection, and network security tailored to your needs and budget. With 20-plus years of experience in the medical field, our HIPAA-certified consultants know what it takes to protect sensitive information. Don't settle for less. Give us a call at 801-706-6980 and experience the difference with Managed IT Services. Remember, your IT support should be fast, efficient, and reliable. Introducing PrepStartsNow.com, your ultimate guide to readiness and peace of mind. We offer practical preparedness tools, training, and education to take your family's household readiness to the next level. Browse the prep shop for essential products, check out our planning guides, and stay informed with our prep blog. Visit PrepStartsNow.com and subscribe to our emails for exclusive offers, new products, and future events. Remember, preparedness begins with PrepStartsNow.com. 
One more segment remaining in tonight's live broadcast, the live broadcast of June the 24th, uh, Year of Our Lord, 2023. Got to give all the praise that is due to our guest this evening, Mark Weber, Roger Devlin, and Marty Phillips, who you just got to know in uh, over the course of the last hour. Uh, but uh, you, we talk, we've talked all night about how quickly the hours and the segments go by. How about how fast a month goes by or a year or a lifetime? I just had another birthday, so it's all sort of relative. But uh, no, it, this is actually the last show of the month. When we come back with you next week, it is our 4th of July extravaganza. It's our last show before Independence Day, and the former United States Congressman Steve King will be back with us, to, among other invited guests. But this is the last show of June, so I have to make mention of the fact, I really do, believe me, I do, <laughs> but that this is uh, the, the last show of the month. It is the last time we have an opportunity to mention to you our quarterly fundraising drive. Now, I received an email just yesterday, in fact, from a gentleman who has been among our most steadfast quarterly donors. And he writes this, Dear James, the general financial situation has changed markedly and not for the better. Prices for everything have rocketed upwards in an unprecedented way. As a result, I must terminate my contributions. The situation is so dire that I cannot even send a small donation, though I am hoping for your continued success. And, folks, I have to tell you, I have received similar notes from many of our donors. Our first quarter fundraising appeal fell short of the mark, short of our modest budget. Uh, and our second quarter returns are tracking to come in even a little bit lower than that. I, I get it. I sympathize to your plight. I, I face it as well. I'm a husband and a father. I've got three young children. I know the cost of everything, gas, food, goods, you name it. They've all gone up. It is tough. It is tough out there. The Biden administration has destroyed our economy. It has ravaged us with historic inflation, and it has prevented a significant number of our supporters from being able to contribute and give as they normally would. And the distress that our people are feeling is real. Uh, but, uh, and, I, and I feel that, believe me, I feel it as you do, but I want to keep the show on the air too, so I have to be honest with you. Uh, we are we need to end the month of June on an uptick. Uh, the threat of having to make some difficult decisions in the future will very possibly become a reality if we don't end this month on an uptick. We don't need to go half a year failing to meet our, oper our operational requirements. So uh, our costs, uh, the costs associated with running this program increase every year, even if our contributions stall. And so I impress upon you tonight exactly how much you factor into our survival. This is the last week of our fundraising appeal. Uh, we are 100% listener-supported. You matter tremendously. There are no contributions too small. I promise you that. Uh, listener contributions of any amount are the only thing that shields us from constant withering assaults from the media and, and assorted uh, leftist hate groups. I cannot overstate that. So your response or lack thereof makes a massive difference. And uh, I would ask all of our regular, intermittent, or even potential first-time donors to consider supporting the work of TPC so you can continue to hear us and our invited guests, uh, or else the situation could soon become critical. Uh, we have some great uh, fundraising incentives, as we always try to give you, uh, to uh, induce your gift your love offering and uh, what, uh, whatever the level of support you can give please do 
And uh, we hope to hear back from you before the end of the month. Uh, it, it really is important. And with that said, uh, let's go now to our final contributor of the night, Scoop Stan Scoop. Now, we can't give all of the details here, but Scoop, you are at a remote broadcast. We, we mentioned this last week. As you know, Scoop is uh, the host of what we affectionately call the fourth hour. Uh, Scoop, long time and still Washington, D.C. correspondent of TPC. Uh, he follows us up. Uh, the hour immediately following us is the fourth hour. And he's getting the party started early right now at a live remote broadcast scoop. We don't want the uh, location you're at to be uh, targeted by Antifa and BLM terrorists. Uh, so we're not going to give the location, but you are in Washington, D.C. You are uh, preparing to do a live remote broadcast of your program, and you're giving us a little sneak peek of it right now. So don't tell us exactly where you're at, but tell us exactly what you're doing. Well, James, good evening, uh, Political Accessible family. I am a, at a remote location. Those on Twitter can follow me. But, James, I'm not worried because security at this facility is provided by the Second Amendment. So, like in the movie, uh, uh, <laughs> like in that uh, Robert De Niro movie, Chaz Palminteri movie, uh, a Bronx Tale, you can't leave now. So, anyways, I digress. Uh, I'm at a uh, function. Lots and lots of good-looking people, if you know what I mean. Uh, James, I try to snap a shot, try not to be too perverted, but it's uh, very hard when you're <laughs> one scoop Stanton. Anyways, uh, sorry for the background noise. I am at a live remote location. People are doing, going about their business, having fun. So if you hear it, please bear with the noise. Uh, anyways, uh, I live in Washington, D.C., so you don't. Washington, D.C. has some of the worst public schools in the nation. Presidents Clinton and Obama sent their kids to a private school that charges so much, it's as much as an Ivy League college. Only the poor people send their kids to D.C. public schools. Well, instead of trying to improve standards and learning of the students destined to go through what's known as the prison pipeline, D.C.P.S. is teaching about women's menstrual cycle to both boys and girls. I and saw that. It gets even better. Especially the boys. That's especially important to boys, I think. Right. And we're talking elementary school kids. And it gets even better. DCPS will so be. So, for putting... all the elementary aged boys who are going to be beginning their menstrual cycle, this is important to know in your public school education. Exactly. And they're putting feminine hygiene products in the boys' bathroom. Well, do they have cat litter in the, in the in the bathrooms there? Because I know that there's this new fad called furries. All of the children who believe that they're dogs or cats that need to use the litter box on their bathroom breaks, they have that there in D.C. yet? Not yet, but uh, who, who knows? But, you know, it, it, instead of putting resources towards the three R's and teaching these kids what they need to know. <laughs> to... Reading, writing, and, reading, writing, and arithmetic, if you don't know what the three R's are. Right. But uh, instead of teaching these kids what they need to know to be successful in life, uh, they're going to teach these kids, uh, they're going to teach boys about women's menstrual cycles. I mean, it, 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 you know what? Years ago, D.C. had some of the best public schools in the country. Yeah, guys go to uh, guys and girls go to Dunbar High School, Anacostia High School. I mean, these were the top, top high school. But 
You get the unions involved. You got these non, uh, uh, these, these people on the school board who don't have any kids, who have an agenda. They want higher office, and this is what you get. You get uh, uh, menstrual, menstrual uh, feminine hygiene products in the boys and girls, uh, boys' bathroom, and little Johnny learns about uh, women's menstrual cycle when he's in second grade. But you know, of course, nobody's batting an eye except yours truly. And unfortunately, my youngest kids still go to public schools, and Cal Thomas's words still resonate in my head almost on a daily basis. Get your kids out of public schools. Now you might say, well, school. What about homeschools? Again, you need to look at the teacher. So homeschooling my kids that wouldn't work uh, in the school household. Uh, James, back to you. <laughs> well, Scoop, tell us a little bit more about the atmosphere. I mean, we only have a few minutes remaining. You are doing a live remote broadcast tonight of your program. Remind us of that program and remind us of what's coming up next and what we, again, affectionately refer to as the fourth hour of TPC. That is Scoop and Walter Yerkew's program coming up next on Liberty News Radio Network. Scoop, where are you? Well, we know. Well, you can't J- tell us J- where you're at because we don't again, want it to get attacked. But but tell us what's coming up in the next hour. Well, we got uh, me having to vote Democrat in the county I live in. Yep, that's right. I voted in the Democrat part. Yes, yes, I did. What are you talking Be- about? I had to vote. Yes, I voted Democrat in the Democrat primary, even though I'm not registered to either party. For the simple fact, we have district attorneys or commonwealth attorneys here in Virginia that are absolutely just reprehensible. They they, they they're, they're turn this place into a, a, a blank hole, as Donald Trump you, you, likes to say. <laughs> and also, um, body mass index, something I have a problem with because I'm always on the wrong side of the BMI, but is it racist? Probably. And also, uh, somebody uh, went down to the Titanic, and the Titanic took five more lives this week. Uh, due to uh, some redneck engineering, uh, we're going to talk about that. Well, and the, the guy that—that's another. We're actually going to do that next week. But the guy who who crafted that submersible said that he was tired of fifty-year-old white guys who had military experience telling him what to do. He needed some vibrant diversity input on how to create a submersible. And I would ask him if I could how that's working out for him. But that—that's obviously the biggest news story of the world this week. What happened there with the Titan? Submersible taking tourists at uh, 250k a pop. 250k would fund me for about you know the rest of my life. But uh, 250k would get you a death sentence on the Titan submersible because uh, diversity was involved. But nevertheless, uh, Scoop, we got a minute left. You had a live remote broadcast. If people stay Hi. tuned for the next hour, what are they going to hear? Well, what are you going to be doing for the next hour at this well, uh, raucous environment? We hear it in the background, and I'm jealous. Right. I got to tell you, I'm jealous. Well, we have the guest of honor uh, come uh, speak for a couple minutes. It is now Donald Trump. He is in the district. Uh, of course, I didn't get a ticket. I don't know why. Uh, but just talk about the, what goes on here in the district because, again, I live here, so you don't. So, But anyways, James, <laughs> you should get rid of uh, the f- people 50 and over. That would be uh, Keith, me, Eddie, Sean, Jim Lancia, Walter, uh <laughs> Well, and just about everybody else, Sam. If I didn't talk to people that were over 50, I'd never talk to anybody at all, except maybe Marty Phillips, who was on earlier. But uh, is Walter going to be on tonight, or is he uh, is he out for the remote? No, he'll be on. He's uh, taking a stretch kid to the studio. 
All right, here we go. All right, so stay tuned. All you got to do is stay tuned. If you're listening live, you wait about eight more minutes, and Scoop's going to be live from this event. You'll learn a lot more about it. But for everybody else, if you're turning out now, you got to go to bed. For Mark Weber, uh, for Roger Devlin, Marty Phillips, and our good friend in Washington, D.C., correspondent Scoop Stanton, I'm James Edwards. Don't forget to donate before the end of the month uh, because we want to be able to talk to you in July. All right. Good night, everybody, and God bless. Godspeed. Next week, God willing, with Steve King, our 4th of July extravaganza. The Congressman. You're listening to Resolution Radio Radio. Resolution RDO dot com.